Yo, yo, episode four, hashtag raw and relentless. How fun is this? Momentum is strong right now. So on this episode, episode four, we got my man, Caleb Maddox. Caleb is a nine-time author, influencer, and speaker who has made his first million dollars before the age of 18. He is currently 18, meaning that he, I think he actually hit the million dollar mark by the age of 16 as uh, like I said, a nine-time author, influencer on social media, and world-renowned speaker. My man speaks on huge stages. I don't even speak on stages that big. Kind of makes me a little anxious seeing all those people in that crowd. But you know what? I'm speaking to you right now, and how cool is that? So subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already subscribed. And if you're new to the show, yes, we also have a YouTube channel. So after you get done listening to this episode, go over to YouTube and look us up on YouTube and subscribe. If you've ever wondered what we look like as we're for recording the shows, we have a little studio in here. It looks nice. I do my best to make sure the video also looks nice for you too. That said, I'm excited for this episode. You're going to get so much value. In fact, Caleb is one of those guys who loves to get a lot, give a lot of like, you know, mindset and motivation stuff. And it really just gets me amped whenever I talk to this guy. And so I know if you're in a place where you feel like you need motivation or you feel like you lack a little bit of clarity on what to do, um, definitely take some notes during this one. Listen to it a couple of times. It's going to be a very valuable one for you. That said, sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself. Some R&R. Episode four. I mean, I guess we can get going whenever we want. We got Caleb Maddox on the motherfucking podcast, episode four. I'm really excited for this one. I've been trying to get Caleb on for ever since I started inviting people, which has been like three weeks. <laughs> I've been, I've been say, going there, at it for three weeks, bro. It wasn't a crazy amount yeah. of follow, but I respect it. <laughs> Dude, I've had, I've had people follow up for me for like three years, every really? single week. Every, I'm like, all right, if you're going to do it for three years straight, Damn. we'll do a podcast. I just Grant Cardone 10X that shit, cut down that time. Yeah, you did. Three weeks. Yeah. Oh, that's because that's we're homies, bro. Hell yeah. So uh, do you remember, I've, when was like the first time we met? I think, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even remember. I think it was at Montauk. Yeah, we definitely were at Montauk. And then. That might have been the second time. <laughs> like the first time we actually had to sit down and talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, yeah, we met at Dean's office. Yeah, that's Dean right. Graziosi. That's right. Yeah, so uh, we, we can talk about that a little bit, but I got a lot I want to ask you about. In fact, I've been kind of following your your rise and recent fall on social media and about to be rise again. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but um, I saw Caleb Maddox, the, the preteen, or whenever you were young as fuck and you uploaded that $10,000 sales call. And I thought it was badass because at the time, I was broke as fuck. I was fresh out of dental school. And I was trying to make this dating coach thing work. And I was in a three-bedroom apartment with my two roommates. And we were all just friends because we would try to pick up chicks together. And my roommate and his buddy started doing this job uh, like for a realtor. So they started working from home just like I was working from home, but I wasn't making any money. And I was doing like phones. Wait, so I was working from home and I was also working at a call center at the time, right? Uh, so I was doing phone sales, but I was sucking at it. And... These guys had a lot of phone sales experience and they're like, yo, have you ever seen that like 12 year old kid who closed $10,000 on a sales call? I was like, no, no way. Show me this shit. And so he pulls up this fucking video. We watch it. I'm like, bro, that shit just blew my mind. I was like, what the fuck? 
And then I started getting into like Russell Brunson stuff. And then you're really associated with Russell Brunson. I was like, oh, Caleb Maddox is a real fucking deal. Russell's the best. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, man, I've been uh, I've been watching you for for a minute now. So it's kind of crazy to have I'm you curious, at the podcast. Cause, cause this is actually one thing I don't think I've ever asked you. What took you from being in dental school to wanting to be a dating coach? So before I even got into dental school, I had like a year off. Uh, from college, graduating college, and then waiting to get into dental school and stuff. And I got into school here, so I had nothing to do other than just like work out and hang out and then maybe get a job if I want a little bit of money. But um, at the time, I sucked with girls. And I've told my story many times on my dating advice channel, but um, I was getting friend zoned by all the girls I ever liked. I wasn't doing anything more than just basically kissing them a couple of times, but that was it. And I was pretty innocent sexually, right? I lost my virginity at 21 years old. And, uh, and, and then like, I didn't even start getting into like dating advice until I was like 22, 23. So for that whole entire year, I just took massive action on just approaching women nonstop. And by the time I got to Arizona, it was already so habitual that I was not going to class five days a week while still studying and keeping my grades up because I was going out at night, every night to Old Town Scottsdale and just trying to approach women and get better. And I realized in dental school um, that there was like this overwhelming sense of, oh, we finally made it. Like there's 150 people in my class and we all worked so hard to get there. And they were like, it, it was just like, we're finally here. This is it, this is what we've been working for. And I could just feel like everybody was satisfied. And this is around when I started getting into personal development, realizing that I had a lot of potential because of the way I transformed my dating life just by taking a lot of massive action that uh, to me, it immediately became unappealing because I it, it felt like something I had conquered. So I needed that next challenge. And so I started learning about online marketing and stuff, started studying it. And I was like, well, what? Where'd you what? first learn about it? Um, so Jason Capital was actually, do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's one of the first... Um, dating coaches that I had followed uh, around that time when I got into dating advice. And actually, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but a lot of people have pointed out similarities between our channel because I used, he's like one of my mentors. And so actually, um, he emailed his list. So here's the thing. In that year before dental school, I uh, bought a program from him. It was a thousand bucks. It was called Status, right? And, uh, and I did the math because he only let 200 people into the program and he sold it out in like three weeks. And I'm like, yo, this man's a year older than me. I'm waiting to get into dental school to maybe make 200K a year. And he just made 200K in a month. Being a dating coach, which I didn't even know was possible, right? And so that the seed was planted. And then about six months later, I'm in dental school. It's literally like, I literally just moved to Arizona. And he emails his list and he's like, yo, if you've ever been curious how I make money online, um, I'm actually holding a seminar for 40 people in Las Vegas. Uh, reply to this email if you're interested. And that weekend that he was doing it happened to be during the fall break for my dental school. So I said, fuck it. Here's my student loan money. I paid for it and I went. It was like 1200 bucks. And that's where I kind of just learned the strategy behind online marketing. And that's where I first learned about the book, like Influenced by Robert Cialdini and just like what copywriting was. And, and so when I met him there, it was kind of like one of those things where 40 people who suck with girls just wanted to meet the guy who taught them how to be good with girls. So nobody there knew anything about online marketing. And I truly <laughs> feel like I was the only normal fucking dude there, 
right? I'm a normal guy. I just sucked with girls and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So when I met Jason Capital there, it was almost like game recognized game because immediately we hit it off. We started talking about Old Town Scottsdale, the nightclubs and stuff. And so uh, there's a couple other things that weekend that I definitely think made an impression on him. But about six months later, he does another seminar at his house that happens to be in the Hollywood Hills. And I go and there's only like 10 people there. And he remembered me and, uh, and he was like, Hey guys, this is part of me launching the new branch of Jason capital where I'm teaching people how to make money online. And he, he called it Jason capital millionaire. So it was a program about like abundance mindsets and stuff like that. And, um, at the end he was like, Hey, we're going to film a bonus for this program where we go around the room. You guys ask me a question. Um, so you get one question, I'll answer it for you in real time. And we'll just give that as a bonus to everybody who buys the program. Um, so Think about what you guys want to ask as your question, and then we'll we'll roll. And so when I asked my question, I basically was like, yo, I wrote an ebook after meeting you like six months ago. Uh, it's called the Magnetic Personality Formula, which I still sell today. And I, I'm trying to figure out how to sell it, but here's the challenge. I'm in dental school, as you know, and I have tests every week. And I'm not sleeping because I'm literally doing both things. And his response kind of just blew my mind because I realized I already knew the fucking answer deep down that I needed to drop out. But it was almost like he gave me permission because he said, you can't climb two ropes at the same time. I was like, oh, interesting. And I like that. Yeah. And then he was like, have you ever heard of a sunk cost fallacy? I was like, no. He goes, so Richard Branson always says um, when you go into anything, you always want to be able to protect the downside. And he said... Um, so he kind of came back to protecting the downside from the sunk cost fallacy. He said the sunk cost fallacy is a thing in, in the stock market to where if you invest so much money into a stock, you're like, you almost don't want to let the stock go, even though it's tanking because, um, you've already invested so much into it. So the sunk cost fallacy is you don't want to let go of it because you you've committed so much towards it. And so he, uh, he was like, sometimes you just got to drop the sunk costs and, basically saying dental school is a sunk cost at this time and you protect the downside. He was like, because if you drop out, you try online marketing for a year, you try to become a dating coach or whatever. Um, and if it doesn't work out, you just go back. And I was like, this motherfucker's right. I could just go <laughs> back. And so I dropped out and, uh, became a dating coach. That's good stuff. Yeah. I'm curious about this too. I feel like I'm flipping the podcast on yeah, you, but I'm, I'm just good. curious because we've gotten to talk a little bit, but like, yeah. this is a, this is a cool setting. Um, what is like your long term? What do you want? Like, what's your vision? You look at where you're at 30 years from now, 10 yeah. years from now, wherever that might be, the furthest you've thought out. What is like Patrick killed it? Like I did exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. I would, I'm going to answer this question, but I definitely want to hear your answer too. Uh, if the question was flipped around, but for me, I realized that at the time when I was in dental school, it just made sense to become a dating coach. Cause when I was going out to the bars and nightclubs or hanging out on a Friday, Saturday night with my classmates, um, the, just what we wanted to talk about was completely different. I wanted to talk about how to improve like self-improvement and banging chicks and approaching chicks. Right. But my friends and everybody, they wanted to talk about, Oh, we're going to do this for our dental school practice one day or our dental practice. And we we're going to do this for the dental exam or whatever. And I'm just like, fuck that shit. That sounds boring as fuck. Right. So for me, I realized I had I wanted to become a dating coach because it was what I was passionate about at the time. I'm still passionate about dating advice, but now I'm more passionate about the coaching of the dating advice. Um, and honestly, I started to doubt myself because um, there's this kind of like inherent 
dilemma where I'm like, do I want to be the 55 year old guy talking about dating advice for the, like talking about approaching chicks and getting girls phone numbers. And, and, and I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that I'm really fucking good at what I do in the dating space. And, um, I believe I'm the best in the world at fucking coaching it. And, and it all kind of came to a climax at the boot camp for the documentary that you said you saw. Right. So that's fucking yeah. dope that you watched that in the first place. But, um, yeah, man, that, that, that weekend alone, probably changed the trajectory of what I wanted to do because I was starting I didn't I didn't know but I knew that I knew that dating advice was something that I was passionate about and now I'm passionate about the coaching but I didn't know if it was the the thing for the next 30 40 years um and then I kind of started getting the vision for asking myself that same question I realized well what would my ideal life look like and for me my ideal life is like being able to make content about whatever I wanted and I talked about this on, on a couple podcasts ago with Clark and I, I kind of just said I felt frustrated creatively because I felt like I was I was just pumping out the same videos over and over again just for the sake of pumping out I, more content. I relate with that yeah, yeah? and um so I felt like I wasn't being able to express any other other sides of my personality or any of my creativity. And so I stopped posting videos. The next video I post is a full fucking documentary that I created. And that felt great to release that. And so I realized my fulfillment and my grander vision of what I needed, of where I want to go, definitely has to incorporate being able to express myself creatively. Uh, long story short, that's how this podcast came to be. And I just put it on a whole separate channel and it supports the dating advice because it's still part of the hashtag raw brand. And the way I view this is kind of like the hub. And eventually I'm going to have the offshoot, which is raw dating advice, which I'm in in charge of. Eventually I already own raw fitness advice and raw business advice. Those will be things I might do in the future too, um, or hire coaches to run those businesses for me. Um, And so this is kind of if it answers your question, this is the fucking long-term vision. I want to have a show where I can talk to whoever I want about whatever I want. I want to be able to show up and have my team take care of everything else. And all I do is fucking do my thing on camera. Yeah. Dude, I have a lot of respect for the fact that like I'm sitting here having this conversation with you, asking you questions. We're on the podcast. We got the camera set up lighting and you don't sound any different right now than you did outside before we started or whenever we go hang out, you know, and grab dinner, you sound the exact same and like you're, you're, you're yeah. true to you. And I feel like one of the big things with, with influencers is there's a big difference between influencers and celebrities, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of social media influencers and social media influencers create their life around their content. Everything they do is perfectly planned out. They do certain trips. They act a certain way. They hang out with certain people. They literally orchestrate their life just so it looks good for social media. And that's what, that's what influencers do. They, they, they center their life around their content. But if you notice celebrities, they center their content around their life. Like if you look at something like Joe Rogan, like that's one thing I respect about Joe Rogan. When I watch his podcast, you can, you know, everyone, a lot of people love him, but like there's people obviously hate him. Uh, people disagree with him. But the one thing you got to respect about Joe Rogan, you can tell he's the exact same off camera as he is on camera. Yeah. And that's been something that I've really been trying to do my best over the past like few years because you know when I was 14 years old I had a lot of viral videos and at that time that's exactly who I was right I was just this fired up motivational kid who constantly was just so passionate screaming at the camera because that's literally what was going through my head like like, why do people think this way and I would do these videos but obviously as the older I've gotten um I've changed a lot, right? There's, I think very differently. I, I think I see life through a different lens. My visions have changed. And a big thing for me is I realized when I was like 14 that I could have viral videos that get seen by millions and millions of people. 
I could reach the climax to where every single video I put out gets 10 million views. And even then, the world still isn't changed. Like that, like that was one of the big things I noticed. Like even if I become one of the world's number one social media influencer, the system is still the exact same. So for me, like in this current time in my life, like my priority isn't being a social media influencer. My priority is becoming a world influencer. And like, that's my number one priority. And I think even like with the content I used to put out, it was like, that's who I was, but now I'm so much different. And I think one of the number one things, if I am going to start posting on social media again, that I want to do is just be completely raw to myself. Cause one of my least favorite feelings is being in front of the camera, trying to be something mm. like, I hate that. Like I'm not an actor, right? Yeah. I've never been an actor. And I think a lot of social media influencers, they're just actors that post their stuff on social media. Like they mm. act a certain way. They have a persona. And for me, one of the number one things I notice whenever I get around people is, are they the exact same on as they are off? And like, like you, I notice you are that way. Yeah. I'm curious, why do you love the podcast idea so much? Because like, if you're like, this could be like a long-term thing. Yeah. What is it about having a podcast, sitting down with people, the vehicle of a podcast yeah. that fires you up so much? Well, there's a lot of, a lot of things about podcasts. Um, really honestly, hanging out with Ryan, who's sitting next to me, who's off camera, who will eventually have his own episode as well, because he deserves one. His That's story exciting. is I'm, insane. I'm looking forward to learning from Ryan on that one. Yeah. I live with him every day, but I'm learning new stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, so hanging out with him, Brian and Dean and Jeremy for six months straight uh, was really eye-opening, kind of just seeing the way these people thought, and like because I didn't have that type of environment uh, up until then everything I'd done in business, especially online was kind of just figuring it out on my own. And so, uh, they kind of had this, this saying to where if you hear something, hear about something three times, or you have the same realization three times, then it actually means something. And you should take action on it. Have you ever heard him t talk about that at all? No, actually, no, this is crazy. Yeah. And, and for me, that's deep though. I like it. Uh, one of the, one of the things that I realized was like vlogging was pretty big when YouTube was really young and then it kind of died off for a little bit and then Jake Paul and Logan Paul come on and all the Viners come on and immediately vlogging is relevant again and it's the biggest thing in the world and I don't know if you noticed this but when the whole suicide force thing happened it felt like vlogging kind of died after that I'm not saying it was because of Logan Paul but I just believe it's a trend right it's it's a cyclical thing and I I also realized the same thing about podcasts when I was in high school and Apple first launched uh iPods, I realized that podcasts kind of became a thing because nobody had ever allowed people to create their own radio show before that. But I kind of thought it was kind of nerdy. I would never listen to podcasts myself in high school. Um, so I always kind of felt like it kind of came up and then it's just kind of been dead ever since. And even when I listen to podcasts today, I still don't take it as seriously or I didn't take it as seriously as someone who had a lot of subscribers on YouTube. I thought podcasts were kind of just like a, a stupid hobby. And I, I don't know, that's kind of just was my yeah. opinion. Um, but then when I noticed that the vlogging became relevant again, I was like, huh, that's interesting. Uh, a fad that I thought was a fad actually came back when someone revolutionized the way it was done. And so that was the first thing. Second thing, um, around the uh, around when I was working with Dean, they hired a podcast expert to come in and tell us how to run Dean's podcast. And just talking to him, my impression going into that, again, was exactly like podcasts are stupid or whatever. Um, and then this guy came in and really started laying down the facts about podcasts. And I was like, yo, maybe podcasts are the fucking new wave, just like vlogging what was the new wave again. And then, so that was the second time. And then the third time I started consuming a shitload of podcasts on YouTube, right? What and, podcasts? Uh, Joe Rogan was a big one. I think it was the reason I started consuming it was because 
I got really big into the rabbit hole of did OJ actually do it? And Joe Rogan's video got suggested. And so I was really interested in hearing Joe Rogan's fucking opinion on this shit. And so then he, you know, I started listening to more shit uh, that he's putting out, especially the one with Bob Lazar and the aliens that just got me addicted to his <laughs> podcast. Um, so that was a big one. Also, like Impulsive, I'm a big fan of Impulsive. Um, and, you know, a lot of the other podcasts that are out there, all the video podcasts, I consume them all the, these days. And I didn't realize how big it was on YouTube, um, probably just because I wasn't open to it before. And so just kind of to try to jump on the wave before it becomes a huge wave, I think it's still about to hit its prime. What I do you think about the new thing with Joe Rogan and Spotify? Bro, the week I fucking start this podcast and I interview Clark, that shit happens and I felt like it was a sign. This is the fucking path. Because I think not only is it, so I have, I have a couple opinions. I've talked about this before, but I think it could definitely affect YouTube. I think YouTube the ball's in their court now because they now they have some real serious competition because he's coming off of YouTube because they paid the fucking price. And I don't know if Joe Rogan turned around and was like, yo, YouTube, Spotify's offering me this much. You want to match it? Um, and even if he did, I don't think YouTube would give a fuck. They'd be like, hell no, right? And so I think it could be good because vo- podcasts could now take off and now we, we know podcasters can get bought out and make a lot of money like that. But it could be bad because if you think about the trend of TV to internet to YouTube, YouTube kind of put TV out, made it irrelevant because never before was there no barrier to entry. Anybody could create a YouTube channel. So it became the new thing that really became TV's competition, just like TV to radio. And TV was also always cool because there was a barrier to entry. And if you made it on, you were now relevant. You were a celebrity, right? And I think it could take the power away from the internet and almost make it harder be, to become an influencer now because now there's a barrier to entry. I don't know if everybody will be allowed to make a video podcast on Spotify. And now what if it's all like, oh, you have a podcast, but it's not on Spotify? Oh, who are you? But it also could be good because now Joe Rogan's not on on, on YouTube and now that could, that just leaves room for someone else to pop up. You know, What are some of your dream guests to get on the podcast? Will Smith. I've Will always Smith, wanted to interview Will podcast. Smith. He's a beast. Russell Brand. Uh, Russell Brand be good. He has a podcast, doesn't he? I think so. I've 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 seen it suggested. I think yeah. I think he does. Uh Chelsea Handler would be dope. Um Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Ryan Gosling. I'm just naming a fucking bunch of celebrities I want to meet. Robert Downey Jr. Um fuck it. Let's shoot for the moon. Anybody, bro. And I, I don't yeah. even want it to only be celebrities. I want to be able to bring on whoever I want, even if they aren't relevant online, you know? Make them relevant. My favorite authors, things like that. You know, anybody anybody who has ideas when, that I want to hear. When will you start getting them? Dude, I'm already committed to two episodes a week. So I got to start lining up my podcast schedule now. You know, what I would, you know what I would do if I were you? Yeah. So one of the things I did whenever I was 14, because yeah. I had the goal when I was 14 to make $100,000 okay. by the time I turned 15. So like before yeah. I'm done being 14, I will have made $100,000. That was like my goal at the time. And that's whenever you saw Did the, you write it in your journal? Oh, every, every single morning. Got every it. morning I wrote out $100,000 by 14, a million dollars by 16. Like okay. I knew that's what I wanted to do and a billion dollars by 30. That's how I wrote out. Yeah. And, uh, and that was like my number one focus. Now, what I did for the first part of me being 14 is every single day I would make these $20 a month sales. So I would literally make a hundred calls every single day. Some cold calls, some people that were warm from Facebook. I would look up schools in my area and just start calling them. I'd look up pastors, anywhere I could find phone numbers. I would just start calling them. And I was trying to close for $20 a month. 
And about like a month or two into doing that, I realized there's literally no way that I'm gonna make a hundred thousand dollars by 14 doing this. And the reason why is I actually had an interview with uh, with Grant Cardone, mm. and I, I came into a studio just like this, very yeah. similar feeling, and uh, got on there. Was and his I, room this small? No, I mean his, <laughs> his his podcast studio is nice, but this this is cool. Like, I I like the intimate feel of this. This is nice. But um, so anyway, I, I get on there. I idolize Grant Cardone at the time, and I said, Grant, like, uh, I said on the podcast, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars by 14, and I, I told him that. And then when we were done with the podcast, we just got done. How'd we, you get on his podcast? Um, Did you already have some clout online by that time? I had already had like my my most video was like 150,000 views maybe. I wasn't huge, but I was in his community a lot. Got it. Like I was constantly engaging his community. He's constantly posting on his live streams. And I, at the time I was an author at 13. So like mm. that was kind of like my end. Yeah. And, I, and I come to one of his live streams. Yo, I'm, th- I'm 13 years old. This was out of 13. Uh, I just wrote a book called Keys to Success for Kids. I want to get interviewed by you. And he said, uh, yeah, come on my podcast. So I called his office every single day. I said, Grant said to get me on the podcast. Grant said to get me on the podcast. And uh, ended up saying, okay, come on in. So we drove down Damn. from Tampa to Miami, sat down in Miami, did the podcast, go into his office afterwards. And he ended up sitting in the office with me for four hours straight, which meant a lot to me. I, re- I really appreciated that. But one of the things he did that really, really impacted me when I was 14 at that time, I told him my goal was to make $100,000, is he simply said, Caleb, why don't you just do the math? So I said, okay, like, what, what do you mean by that? Well, if you want to make money, you got to do the money math. Yeah. He's like, all right, if you're going to make $100,000, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I have a $20 product right now. And he said, so 20 divided by 100,000. He was doing that math. And he was like, or you can sell, you know, 100 things at $1,000. Or you can sell 10 things at $10,000. Or you can sell one thing at $100,000, two things at $50,000. He's like, what do you, makes the most sense? What seems the most simple? Yeah. And I was like, 10 things at $10,000. If I do that throughout the year, I can make $100,000 by 14. So I got home and I came up with this idea. I came up with the idea to do something called Whale Day. All right? And I Uh said every single day, instead of making these $20 calls, what I'm going to do is I'm only going to get on the phone with people that I know can pay me $10,000. So whether it be some sort of speaking engagement, whether it be someone selling someone on buying, you know, 10,000 copies of my book, whatever it might be, I only got on the phone with people that could pay me $10,000 by the time we were done on the phone. Mm. And for a year straight, I got rejected well over a thousand times, thousands yeah. of times. People said, no, no, no. Yeah. Literally constant who are, rejection. Who are you talking to on the phone? Random people. You're just calling people. I was just calling people. To, you like I, I would call, I would call, I'd call up business owners. I'd okay. say, I, I know for a fact, if I speak to your business for, for 10 minutes, there's no, or for an hour, there's no way it will not be worth more than $50,000 your business. Hmm. Like, like what, what's important to you? Are your employees important to you? And they would say, yeah. And I'd say, well, your employees are important to you. Then- what, what, well, what's important about that? And they're like, well, that they're motivated. I'm like, what's going to be more motivating than a 14-year-old who already wrote a book, who already has viral videos online? You've seen me speak. You've seen my videos because I would send it to them beforehand. I'd yeah. say, what's going to be more motivating than me getting in front of your people? Do you not think that your salespeople are going to close an extra 10% this year after I motivate them? I didn't know, even know what I, my yeah. pitch was. I just get on the phone and say random stuff. Yeah. And I did that every single day for a year. And the majority of the time, I got no's, no's, no's. But that year, I got 12 yeses. So I made $120,000 at 14 years old. Holy shit. And the reason why is I stopped calling small leads and I only started talking to whales. And this is something I tell salespeople. I'm like, dude, you guys need a whale day where once a week, all you do is talk to whales. So it's the exact same thing for you. Like if you're yeah. blowing up this podcast, if I were you, I would spend one day a week where I do nothing and get, get people on your team, get people, you guys come to an office and, or even at your place. And all you do is just call up Ryan Gosling's agent. <laughs> I guarantee you can do research and find yeah. that. You call up uh, Russell Brand. You figure out like who who works with Russell Brand. Who's Russell Brand's mom? Can I reach out to his mom? Yeah. And like, if you literally all day, if you do that once a week, 
once a day. You're gonna get the top guests. Yeah. And as a podcast, what you need to figure out is like, what's the skip button? That's how me and Ryan think about everything with business. Is like we want to have the skip button. And so many people take so long to get results. But a lot of times in business, there's skip buttons that are right in front of you. And a lot of people say, well, you can't make a million dollars by 16. But the reason why I did, I wrote it out every single day. But the reason I actually hit it is because I was constantly asking, how can I hit the skip button? Most people don't make a million dollars a year in their entire lives. How can I hit that at 16? And I was constantly hitting the skip button. So if you say, what is the ultimate skip button to me become one of the number one podcasts in the world? And in a lot of ways, it's the guests that you have on. Mm. And you put time in once a week to where you just reach out to huge guests over and over and over and over and over again. And you land three of them. If you land three guests that are huge, Russell Brand, uh, Ryan Gosling, Joe Rogan himself, you land three yeah. guests, your podcast would be bigger than if you put out an episode every single day. Damn. That's so like, the, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking, because I, I want this podcast to blow up, and I yeah. can't wait. I know it is, for a fact. But I feel like you you reach out saying, what's the skip button? It's the people I get on. And just get, going after the most crazy people, and not, a lot of people say, well, I got I to gotta put some time, and I at least have to have a few episodes. Right. You say, I'm I'm brand new podcast. Like, I'm going to be the number one podcast in the world. I want them on for like 45 minutes. What's going to take to make that happen? Yeah. You're going to get some big guests on. Dude, that's, that's fucking inspiring. That reminds me of uh, Jerry Weintraub. You ever heard his story? No. Uh, so Jerry Weintraub literally created the Karate Kid. Um, and he's like the Hollywood producer that did that. But the way Jerry Weintraub got, got started, he actually was Elvis Presley's manager. And he was a 25, 26-year-old nobody. And this is back way back when Elvis Presley was like a huge celebrity, but he was no longer touring anymore. And he had a dream one night, and he slept next to his journal. He had a dream one, one night next to his wife that he was Elvis Presley's manager and they were just swimming in cash, bro. And so he writes that. He wakes up real quick, writes it in his journal. And then goes back to bed, wakes up the next morning, and he's like, I have to be Elvis Presley's manager, and I have to take him on tour. So he looks up in the white pages or the yellow pages, wherever the fuck you look things up in the 60s uh, or whatever (laughs) it was. And he finds Elvis Presley's, I don't know if it was his manager or his agent or something like that, but he finds his his guy, right, the the middleman. And he calls this guy, cold calls him, and he goes, hey, my name is Jerry Weintraub, and I want to be Elvis Presley's manager, and I want to take him on tour around the world. And the guy's like, are you fucking crazy? Elvis Presley doesn't tour around the world anymore. Click. Hangs up on him. Jerry Weintraub calls him again the next day. He goes, hey, I called you yesterday, um, and I want—I still want to take Elvis Presley on tour. Um, how do we make this happen? The guy goes, stop calling. You're crazy. Click. Jerry Weintraub calls this guy at the same time every day for a fucking year. And on the 366th day, and this is all in Jerry Weintraub's autobiography uh, called When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead. And he, he is dead by now, so he's not talking anymore. <laughs> um, so anyways, on the 366... You can't get him on the podcast. Yeah, I can't get him, unfortunately. On the 366th day, he literally says, oh, well, I've called every day for a year. I've gotten a no every day for a year. Maybe I'll just stop calling. And the guy who he was calling, same guy on the other line of the phone, goes, what the fuck? Jerry Weintraub didn't call today. This motherfucker calls me every day and he didn't call me today. I'll show that motherfucker he's not going to call me. So he calls Jerry Weintraub's number and he says, hey, are you serious about taking Elvis on tour? And he goes, yeah, I still want to take him on tour. He goes, all right, meet us at the Flamingo Hotel tomorrow at uh, tomorrow in Las Vegas with a million dollars cash, and you can be Elvis Presley's manager and take him on tour. Jerry Weintraub is a 26-year-old nobody who just had a dream that he wanted to take Elvis on tour. There's no way this man has a million dollars, and today it's probably worth way more than a million dollars. It's probably 10 mil today, right? But 
You already know the end of the story. He became Elvis Presley's manager. So how the fuck did he get a million dollars in a day? He started pitching every fu- every fucking person he knew, calling everybody, asking for the money. Where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? And he gets enough people to to give him a million dollars cash. And he shows up at the Flamingo Hotel, takes Elvis on tour, eventually becomes Frank Sinatra's manager. No uh, way. Becomes the producer of the. He creates the Karate Kid. He also got Frank. He created Ocean's Eleven. Right. This is that motherfucker. You're kidding me. Yeah. See, I, I've I've heard the Elvis part. I I didn't like recognize his name, but I've heard that. I didn't know he went on to become Frank Sinatra's manager. Yeah. I didn't know Ocean's Eleven. That that's crazy. Yeah. But that just shows you why, though. I mean, look at that level of obsession, mm. and that's what it takes. Like, I've yet to meet someone wildly successful. Like, I'm talking wildly successful. Not makes six figures a year. Not makes a million dollars a year. I'm talking unbelievably successful. One of the best in the world at what they do, and they did not give their entire existence to something. I've yet to meet that person. And like you look at him, like he gave his existence like for a year straight. Yeah. Think about how crazy you have to be to do that. Yeah. Think about like you have to call him every single day, continuing to get a note. No one would do that. They would like literally after, first of all, they would never make the call in the first place. Mm. Then after a week, they'd be like, okay, this doesn't make sense. After four weeks, they try to figure something new. But he for a year, every single day did that. But then look, we're, we're literally talking about on the podcast on the number one podcast in the world right now. Hell yeah, number one podcast, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm still also trying to figure out kind of like what, what the branding of this podcast is, what is the, what do people think about when they think about tuning into Raw and Relentless? And I think just to even get there, I'm thinking about just be me all the fucking time. And so that was, that was really a good compliment. Like, thank you so much for that. Like when you said um, you're the same person, but honestly, I feel the same way about you and Ryan. Like you guys seem like high energy kids on camera, um, especially when you bring a Ryan on and you guys kind of shoot the shit. Yeah, we go back and forth. But we you guys are other. the same way in person. You know, I've spent six months with this fucking kid every day. He is that dude. You are that dude too. So I feel like there's no difference between you on camera and off camera, just like anybody who turns on a camera, yeah, they're going to sit up straight and now start speaking up. But other than that, like it's the same. Dude, you know? I feel like that. I feel like you said that. Like you're trying to figure out what's the brand. The brand's you, dude. Mm. Like I, if you're, if you're an influencer and you're trying to figure out what is my brand, mm. you've already lost the, the people that people watch. They watch that person. They like, that's the people that they want to see. They don't want to see some persona. They don't want to see some, you know, character. So like, What's the branding? Literally, if you just if you get on and you have really interesting conversations and you're you, like I've been in rooms with people with you, like everyone, like they're looking at yeah. you, they're watching, they're, they're hearing you speak. You're a fantastic storyteller. Like that is your branding. Yeah, hell yeah. It just it, like everything that's is, happened in the last couple of weeks is just validation that I'm on the right path. Even though I don't need the validation to know that I'm on the right path because <laughs> I felt it in my fucking gut. But yeah, man, it's just so. What does raw relentless mean? Um, so. I guess I kind of just came into the branding raw dating advice and I've always just liked the word raw. I felt like if anything could describe me as a brand, I want it to be raw. I want it to be unfiltered, um, relentless. I got relentless because that was my favorite book after I read it Tim by Grover. Tim Grover. He would be another dream guest. I was actually, we were writing down some dream guests last night. You could totally get Tim Grover on. You think so? You're one DM away. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, like I've, if there's one thing I've learned, yeah. you can, you're one DM away from literally anyone. Here's the thing. Especially on LinkedIn, by the way. LinkedIn's a weird place. Instagram, I'm one DM away because I'm verified, mm. so like it, it gets in pretty easy. Yeah. But LinkedIn, I don't really have anything good on LinkedIn, but yeah. pretty much every person I message, I get a response from. Damn. LinkedIn's the place. Yeah. I mean, so here, here's, I have a couple questions for you. Uh, going back to, I guess this is complete topic change. You mentioned the earlier like celebrities and influencers, bro. Um, 
What do you feel like is this the distinction? Where's the line? At what point do you go from someone who has influence to someone who's now a celebrity? Or even a better question, how do you go from B-list to A-list? What is that fucking line? I've always debated this. What makes a celebrity? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm not A-list by any means. Yeah. So I, like, I, that's something I still got to figure out. And it's not even a priority of mine to become A-list. Like, uh, you know Priceline.com? Yeah. Like, you know... So I met the founder of Priceline.com. His name is Jeff Hoffman, mm. and he also has like a he won like a Grammy. He he he's done a bunch of really crazy things. Long story short, he's a very fascinating guy. And I spoke at an event with him in L.A. And I asked him whenever I was I think it was it was either fourteen or fifteen. I said, "What's your number one piece of advice for me?" And he knew who I was. He you know he knows about my books, my videos, all that. I said, "What's your number one piece of advice for me?" And he said, "Caleb, don't be known for what you say. Be known for what you do." Mm. And I was like, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And he was like, "You have a lot of really really great quotes, but what have you built?" And to me, that's the number one thing. So mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily know for, for A-list. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Maybe they're more entertaining. It's more them. Like you you, you see a lot of the, 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 the most famous celebrities like purely right. by the A-list because more people want to know about them. Yeah. So that like that's the first thing. But as far <clears> as like influencer versus like someone who goes down in history, you usually don't go down for what you said. Mm. Even like Martin Luther King, right? You said, well, Martin Luther King went down like that because think about all the speeches he gave. Martin Luther King was not built from a stage. He was built in the streets. He's not known because he gave some great civil rights speech that moved millions of people. Yes, did he do that? 100%. But what he's known for is the fact that he was in the streets willing to die. He was willing to go to jail. And that's why Martin Luther King Jr. is Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. So for me, I don't necessarily know the answer to that. And the older I get, the more I'm willing to say, I, I don't know. Because I really don't know a lot. I'm 18 years old. Yeah. I know what I want to do. And I know for a fact I'm going to do it. I don't know all the answers, but I would say the number one thing between A-list and, and B-list is number one, yeah. more people want to listen to them. Yeah. Number two, they just play at a bigger scale. And then really, uh, if you look at the people that I want to be, I don't want to be known for what I say. I want to be known for what I build. Mm. Like, even like Joe Rogan, like, yes, he says a lot, but he built something with his podcast. Like, yeah. he, he built that. And even before that, look what he was doing with UFC, right? Like And stand-up comedy. And stand-up comedy. Yeah, exactly. You rarely become someone off of just one viral video. Mm. Trust me, I've done it. I've had viral videos. The impact's pretty is pretty minute, but when yeah. you build something great, that's whenever people start to take an interest. Like for example, LeBron James. Why do people like LeBron James? He's entertaining, yeah. He says some good things, yeah. He's like he has great branding, a hundred percent. He understands media, hundred percent. But he's one of the greatest basketball players ever. Yeah. And there's no amount of of branding you need to do when you're one of the best basketball players in the world. Mm. You don't need to. That makes sense. So it's like. Someone is a celebrity, and I guess uh, you kind of answered this. That I guess that is your answer. Like, it's not about like the views or whatever, but it's about what you're known for doing and what you've built. Yeah, yeah. I guess the the reason I even got curious about that question in the first place, I was literally debating this with myself because I had no clue what it was. Because I was like, all right, if someone gets five hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube, are they a celebrity or are they just someone who built a big YouTube following, right? And so I was like, yo, at what point do you go from big YouTuber to you're a fucking celebrity. Yeah. I feel like it's never everyone knows who you are. I mean, like, that's the obvious answer, but I feel like that's, and and another thing you'll notice about A-list, they usually have one vehicle that carried them there. Mm. For LeBron James, that was basketball. Look at Jake and Logan Paul. It was vlogging. Joe Rogan, it was like the podcast and stand-up comedy. But like, if you look at it, they have a vehicle that carried them there. So Mm. like, I feel like, pouring your existence into a vehicle, that's how you get known. Like, even like, the Kardashians, it was their reality TV show. Yeah. It's like, it's like finding that thing. And I feel like that was one of the things I probably, I could have done way better at 14 mm. is I had a lot of viral videos. So then I was like, 
Well, let me try some YouTube. Let me try Snapchat. Let me try speaking. But if I just would have every single day for three years straight posted on Facebook, yeah. I don't think I'd have posted a single video that got under 100K views. And everyone, most of them, would have gotten over a million views. Mm. So I feel like I feel like that's another thing too is like picking your vehicle and, and, and everyone knows you for that thing. Yeah. And then and then branching out. What do you want to be known for? Not being a celebrity. That's I'll tell you <laughs> that. Um what I want to be known for. I want to be known for a lot of things. First, change the education system. Yeah. Impact millions of people. But the number one thing for me is is honestly being known as the as the the person. Or not even being known as someone who created the the machine or the system that made millions and millions of people on earth have more love and more curiosity. Mm. And honestly, that thing changes. And to be real, every single day I, I'm continuing to realign. Like Ryan and I, when we first became friends, we were like, there's one thing we're going to do. Yeah. And it's like right now, every we're always shifting and we're always forgotten. Because for us, we're trying to figure out what's the best way. And the, the smarter that you get, the more you realize you don't know. So you're like... Okay, well, this I thought we were gonna change education this way. Yeah. We realized like that's that's stupid. Like that's not gonna work. Mm. So, I don't exactly know what I want to be known for. I just know what I want to do, and that's I want to create a new system for living. Mm. I think the current system's broken, and you know I grew up going into battered women's shelters where women have been abused, homeless shelters, and I've helped a lot of homeless people. I've helped fatherless kids. I've had viral videos online, and one thing I've realized is. The only way you're going to truly change the world is if you change the system that the people in live in. Mm. And like even like I love Tony Robbins to death. I think Tony Robbins is one of the most impactful people on the planet. I watch his documentaries. I watch his things. Yeah. He changed my life in such a massive way. What do you think if I'm not your guru? Oh, it's one of my favorite documentaries ever. It's Dude, it's, it's fantastic. I cried the first time I watched it. And I, the second I cried and every time. time. <laughs> yeah, I've cried every time I've watched it. Yeah, it, bro. It's, it's I think powerful. he is Jesus reincarnated. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Dude, genuinely like he... The way he knows how to sit in front of someone who has so much trauma and change their life in an instant is unbelievable. Yeah. But where I was going with that is even how powerful he's become, even the things he's done. Like, I think he's the pinnacle you could ever get when it comes to speaking. I really do. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like I could live my whole life, and I don't know if I'd beat Tony Robbins. Like, yeah. he's just so, and there is no beating, but you know what I mean? Like, he so deeply cares about people, and he's played at such a high scale, and he's so good at what he does. But even if you look at him, the system's the exact same. So although he's impacted a lot of people, yes. But guess what? They get thrown right back into the exact same system. So for me, I, I don't, what I want to do in my life, it's not about what I want to be known for, but specifically what I want to do is I want to change the, the system in which people live. And to be completely transparent, I don't fully know how to do that at this current moment. Yeah. I do know that the first thing is me and Ryan need a lot of capital to be able to make that happen. That's the first thing I fully understand. Mm. Like we're not doing this thing having a million dollars. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So Ryan and I right now, what we're focused on in our life is we realize we're young and we're just trying to figure out Number one, what's our vehicle to get us at least where we're playing the game to where we can play at the scale to actually change the system in a way and yeah. then and then figure out what's the absolute best way to do that. And also another thing, we're, I'm 18, Ryan's 20, we know a lot, but at the exact same time, there's so many people that know so much more than us. I feel like we won't truly know until we've been around greater minds than we've currently been around. And that's something we really want to do is, is elevating who we've been around because there's so much people, so many yeah. people that are so much smarter than we are. And one of my things in life that I want to do is I want to connect the greatest minds to the world. Like there's so many solutions that are currently out there, but they're not, there's not millions of people using them. Mm. So uh, for me, what I would feel successful is if I connect the greatest minds to the world 
I feel like that's a success. Yeah. That's so, a question I ask myself every day. <laughs> that's that's really interesting, man. And I, I totally agree. It's almost like you can you can solve the you can solve and treat the symptoms, which kind of like what people do, what coaches do, or you can treat the system that's causing the symptoms to even exist. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's that. that's exactly what we feel like. The way that most people try to solve problems is like you are hitting your knee in the hammer and your solution is let's numb my knee so I don't feel it. It's like, or you can just stop hitting yourself with a hammer. Mm. And I feel like that, that's one of the problems is we're so focused on fixing the outputs of situations, like the, the problems, like the output, like uh, the suicide rate, the depression rate, um, all the all the things that are going on in the world. There's so many problems. If you, like me and Ryan were doing research for a project the other day. Mm. If you look at the amount of stats, the amount of problems that are going on, child sex trafficking, all of that stuff, it's terrible. Right. But everyone's trying to fix the output, but in reality, inputs create outputs. So if you look at someone like Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos' goal isn't to create the number one company in the world. It's not to become the wealthiest person in the world, and it wasn't to create the wealthiest company in the world. What he asked himself is, the number one company in the world, what would be that input? If we achieve this, it creates this. And he realized, well, the number one, the co- the company in the world that has the most customers would have to be the most customer centric company on the planet. That's what it would have to be. Mm. And so he's focused on that. And he never said to his team, let's become the number one company in the world. He said, let's be the most customer centric company in the world because that input is what creates the output of being the number one company in the world. Therefore, he focused on that. Now they're one of the number one companies in the world. He's the wealthiest person in the world. It's the exact same thing in society. We try to fix the output of, of like all these problems. What you need to do is fix the input. And mm. Ryan and I believe that's that's with the youth. That's with kids. Mm. Like it's so much easier to not rewire millions of adults' minds, but rather to wire them right from the start when they're kids. Yeah. Not to transform millions of adults, but to form them right from the start when they're kids. Mm. That That's really what we're going to do. So you hit a, a perfect point there. You had it down. Bro, I think <clears throat> now that I think about it, I feel like you're one of the few because it's not a lot of people who are targeting personal development for kids and you made your first few million dollars doing that shit. Right. So that's fucking insane. Even your, your first books, I want to go back in time, bro. Like, would you say that you have a chip on the shoulder that drives you? Like what drives you to do all this shit? Because you, like you said, you're 18 years old and you've been doing this for a long time. What got you started? What was your motivation? Was it a certain moment, like a an all time low or something? No, definitely not like specifically an all time low. As far as my my driver, one of my main drivers is that I've done nothing yet. That's a really big thing. Like, I know that if I died right now, it's just, when did you write your first book? How old were you? I was thirteen. All right, so most thirteen year olds haven't done shit either, right? But what yeah. is it about Caleb Maddox and your life that you're the thirteen year old who said, "I got to fucking do this shit." <laughs> and you just have been going ever since. Like I told you before we got on the podcast, you and Ryan, at least the perception, the brand that I get every time I run into you guys or talk to you guys, I'm like, these guys are always fucking going. They're always grinding. And I, maybe it's just the youthful energy or maybe it's just that you're so fired up for what you're doing that you're just, you, you're, you're just that way, right? And so I'm just like, what caused someone to be like that? Is it something you were born with? Is it something that can be taught to people who are listening? Is it something that happened in your life that inspired you to do it? I'll answer that in one second, but I'm curious. Mm. Other than us working on what we're working on, yeah. what else could we be doing? Well, that's what I'm saying. You could be doing anything normal teenage, normal 13-year-olds do, but obviously normal 13-year-olds don't have 
that fucking grand vision. They don't have that deeper purpose, right? Yeah. So maybe was it just that you had the right mentors at that young age? But I think I think this is my point. Like people always say that they're like, "Well, you could be doing what normal kids are doing." But what are they doing? I'm not saying like, you should be. No, doing no, that. I, I know, yeah. but I know that for a fact. I, I'm just I'm bringing this up because yeah. this is what a lot of people say. Like, you could be doing like when I was 13, you can be doing what normal 13 year olds are doing. Mm. You can be playing video games. You can be outside playing with your friends. Yeah. You can be you know, on the phone flirting with girls. You can be doing all this stuff. Like, why aren't you doing that? And then at 18, it's like, why aren't you doing what normal 18 years old are doing? You could be out partying. You could be going to clubs. You could be, you know, um, yeah. same thing. But for me, think about how much more fulfilling it is to know that Ryan and I are working on something that's going to impact billions of people versus going out and partying. Mm. And so for me, like, people say, Caleb, well, you haven't lived a normal childhood. Well, number one, I would say, well, what is the norm? Because if you look at the amount of people, what's normal for our youth today is being depressed. What's normal for our youth today is having anxiety. Mm. So for me, my entire life, I've said, you know what? Like, I, I don't want to be normal. And it started when I was seven years old. My dad, instead of paying me to do chores like most kids get paid to do, he paid me for every single business book and personal development book that I would read and write a report on. And that was when I was seven years old. He started paying me to read those books. Mm. And at the time, I had no confidence. I was insecure. I was shy. I you know, uh, was constantly throwing attitudes. I was just like the kid that no parent wanted their kids to be around type of thing. Mm. And after reading those books, I started to have unstoppable confidence. I started to come to the point where I was the kid that every parent wanted their kids to be around. I had a fantastic attitude. I was outperforming my friends. I started writing out my goals every single morning at the age of seven years old. So whenever I was like 10. What does the goals of a seven-year-old look like? I don't even remember the time. Well, actually, well, not seven years old, but when I got like nine years old, I wanted to become the shortstop for the New York Yankees. Okay. I wanted to play professional baseball. And that was my entire goal from nine years old to 13 years old was that one thing. I want to become the shortstop of the New York Yankees. And every single day, there was not a, a, a single hour of my entire life from nine to 13, I was not thinking about becoming the shortstop of the New York Yankees. And I'm, I'm not even kidding about that. Like the level of obsession back then mm. was, was absurd. But for me, I would go into class, right? And I would be around kids that were my age at 10 years old. And we'd go outside and we'd start playing sports and PE. And I'd get put on the team that was quote unquote worse. And everyone knew it. And they would immediately go, oh, we're automatically going to lose. And I would read in books that, you know, like, like it's, all about, it's all about mental, right? And then I would hear other kids, they'd start making excuses. They would, we would lose a sport and they would go, you know, well, it was because this thing happened. And I was confused. And I'm like, but I read these books and it says to take full responsibility. Mm. Uh, teachers would get on to other kids and they'd make excuses and I would go, I take full responsibility. I'm gonna so um, I thought so much differently. I'd ask kids like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And no kid ever knew. No kid had any goal whatsoever. And I had this confidence level where if adults would try to talk to me, I could have a full-blown conversation with them. I would ask them questions. I was communicating with them. And most kids, they would get super shy and they would close up. So my entire life, like from seven years old all the way to like 12, was just this weird confusion of why do I think so much differently than everyone else? Like even whenever I played baseball, my friends, we'd, we'd go and win a championship. Literally go in and they would all want to go to the pool and celebrate. And I would literally say, guys, I, like, I, I think it's great we won the championship. I'm going to go to the batting cage and hit. And I would literally hit till I had blisters on my hand. Because like, that was just the way that I thought of like, I'm going to do something great in my life. And I was confused. Why does no other kids think that way? Mm. And so at 13, I was like, well, it's be, I, I mean, it was pretty simple because I read personal development books. Yeah. I had read business books and they hadn't. Was there one book, maybe one of the first books you read at that time that you might remember? Because The if Success you remember. Principles okay. by Jack Canfield. The first chapter changed my life. I, like, I read a lot after that, but if all I read was the first chapter, my life would have been completely different. Damn. It was titled Take Full Responsibility. And that one thing, because my parents got divorced when I was four. 
and looking back as a mold, it had more of a yeah. effect on my psyche than I even thought it. <clears throat> At seven years old, you don't know what, what's going on in your yeah. head. But that, that thought process of taking full responsibility, like everything is your fault, that, that changed my life. Damn. And as a seven-year-old, you were able to comprehend that and understand it and relate it to your own life. Yeah. That's insane. And I was blessed. I like my dad, even just him making that decision was unbelievable. And not only that, but we would read, I would read the books and then we would go for walks and talk about it. And then there's pictures of me at eight years old, literally like on the bed watching a Tony Robbins video yeah. where I had Shit. headphones in. I'd be walking at, at eight years old, just listening to Tony Robbins for just hours. You ever seen that video of that little Asian kid who's like doing the Bruce Lee nunchucks yeah, yeah. in real time? You're that kid, but <laughs> in the personal development space. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's, that's an awesome story, dude. Like, so you think it was from a very young age, your dad got caught you young, essentially going to the root and, and raising you the right way almost. And I think at 13, I just realized like, there's nothing out there that teaches kids this stuff. So I said, what if I write a book called keys to success for kids? It's like all the books that I've read, all those principles, but in a way that's relatable for kids, it's not from a 50 year old guy. It's from someone their age. And what if I just share those principles? And I wrote the book. And, and after writing the book, I wasn't like, yeah, I wrote the book. Yeah. I, I, the, when I got in the mail, I was pumped. But then I was like, but no one's read it yet. So it's as if it doesn't exist. So then I was like, I, I want to start I want to start getting people to read this. And then I started posting videos on Facebook. Or actually, I first started off selling door-to-door. Like I, I sold door-to-door at 13 years old, knocking on doors for mm. hours and hours and hours. I literally had people spit on me. Like I'd go downtown Damn. and I would just be selling my book. And by the way, quick tip for anyone out there watching this who does door-to-door sales and you're a little kid, this is not applicable for like everyone watching this, but if there's yeah. anyone out there, if you see someone who's a guy and they have a gorgeous girlfriend, go up and sell to the guy because <laughs> they'll never say no to a little kid if they ask for something in front of their girlfriend. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. So that, that's one thing. I, I learned a lot about sales back then. Damn. But at 13, I, like, I start off like selling and I would have weeks where I would sell, you know, 30 copies of my book, 50 copies. And then I started realizing like, this is just not the most. How much were you selling it for? Well, it's 15 bucks on Amazon, 15, uh-huh. but I was like, you can do it since I'm on the street with you. I'll do it for 10. Okay. So you but, had a pitch plan. But, I would, but I would pitch, I'd pitch and say like, get three copies. So it'd be like 30 bucks, whatever. Okay. So I'd usually sell a bunch of copies, but, um, and there'd be some weeks, like, I think the most week I sold like a hundred, but then I started just calling people. I was like, what if I start calling people? And one time I asked, I was like, I asked this girl, um, her name was Kate. I said, what if you, what's stopping you from buying 60 copies of my book? And she said, you know what? I'll do it. And so I was like, that's like what I sell all week. I just got it in one sale. So I started saying, well, instead of selling one-to-one, why don't I just call people and sell to higher prices, which kind of yeah. got me to where I was 14 and did the whale day. But then also I said, well, what's another way to scale this? Because I'm talking to people one-to-one. Well, social media, I can post one video and talk to more people from that one video than I could from the entire week of knocking on doors in the hot summer heat. So I started posting videos and within like three months of posting, I had one video get 70,000 views and it hit me like I can go viral. And then at 14, every single day I was posting videos and I had one video that reached, ended up reaching 40 million people and had dozens of viral videos with millions and millions of views pushing my books. Yeah. So I'd get invited to go speak, speak on stage with Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Tony Robbins, like all the people that I idolized at the time. And, uh, and it was kind of off from there. And at 13, I realized like the reason I, why I wanted to become the shortstop of the New York Yankees is because I knew that number one, become shortstop of the New York Yankees. Number one, I loved baseball. Mm. I, I loved playing the sport. I, w- I would come alive whenever uh-huh. I play baseball. Yeah. But also number two was like, I knew I could make a lot of money and number three, I also realized this would give me a platform to share my voice and share my story. But then I realized, well, if I just go all in with the business, yeah. well, then guess what? I love business. I have a blast doing it. I can make a lot more money than baseball players make. That's for sure. And I can have way bigger of a platform than I ever could playing baseball. Plus, it doesn't get caught off whenever I'm 40. I can do it till the day I die. Yeah. So then I decided, you know what? No longer is my goal to come to shortstop of the Yankees. Even though that was my life up to that point, I literally made the decision 
on a, on a, on a campfire during the summer, I'm going to go all in with creating something that impacts millions and millions of people. That was literally my thought process at 14 or 13 years old. Damn. So are those videos still online today? Yeah. Yeah. All of them. I mean, there's videos of me yeah. when I was eight years old online. Damn. Uh, so, cause I remember I would watch a lot of those videos. I've seen a lot of the viral ones, but your current YouTube channel that I've saw has like almost no videos on it. So is that the same channel or is it a different channel? Well, the current channel, I, I re-uploaded a lot of them. Well, not re-uploaded, but I had them all unlisted. Because okay. for a while, I just wanted to go ghost on social media. Why? Like, because I don't want to be a social media influencer. Mm. Like, I know I say that, but like that's deep inside. Like I don't want to be a social media influencer. I want to be a world influencer. Yeah. And like, I, I love social media. And it was great for me for such a long period of time. So what does that mean for you, world influencer? Because when I, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, you want to reach the world, right? But when I think about social media, I think exactly what you were saying before. Like, it gives you the power to reach people everywhere. Like, I have people buy my book in fucking Indonesia because of my YouTube videos. Like, that's yeah. insane. So, like, what? give me, I def, define and differentiate it for me. Because I guess I, my meaning might be off. For me, it's not that I'm never going to use social media. Social media yeah. is a tool that I will use for the rest of my life as long as, it, as long as it's a thing. It's powerful. And I know how to use it to reach a lot of people. But... Why do I want to reach them? What am I What am I actually trying to provide? Is it just motivational videos that are a minute long yeah. that inspires people? And yes, people said they didn't kill themselves because of watching it. And that was so motivating. But I realized if I actually want to change the entire, like change the world, like actually create something that impacts millions and millions mm. of people, is it just going to be doing online videos? So it wasn't even like, I'm not, I don't believe in social media anymore. It was, I want to be, I want to be a world influencer who uses social media, not a social media influencer who uses social media. Like yeah. look like Elon Musk. Like Elon Musk isn't posting content, yeah. right? What he's doing is he has things that he's building. He has solutions that he's providing for the human race and he uses social media to get those solutions out. So it's not even like I was giving up social media forever. Like even like this month, I considered going back on YouTube and starting right. to upload again. And I, I probably will here soon. But the thought was I need to spend a year trying to figure out what is the, what is the vehicle? What is the system? What is the solution that I want to provide? And then do that. Versus just getting in front of the camera. And honestly, I, I needed time off from, from 13 to 16. All I did was upload videos all the time over and over and over again. And like you said, like it, it gets repetitive. And at some point you got a question like, am I just saying stuff that I'm used to getting views? Or is this like what I'm truly thinking and what's going on? Mm. So, so it was a, more of like a creator burnout type of thing for you. In, in a way, I mean, not completely, but yeah, you know, full transparency. That, that was definitely a part of it. Yeah. I've just like, I was just tired of, no matter how many videos I did, I just knew like the, the world was saying the exact same. Like, even if you look at what's going on in the world right now, there's no video that's going to change that. Right. It, even if it, even if it motivates millions and millions of people, it still isn't going to, is it really going to change anything long-term? Mm. So for you, um, you, I guess, cause right now you're not posting YouTube videos, but you say you might start again. Um, so when you start posting again, will it be more of like a, a pivot to where you're posting now? for almost like your own creative fulfillment, kind of like what I was doing. Cause I experienced a very similar thing where I didn't post for like six, seven months um, because of that kind of creator burnout. And yeah. now I'm back and I have more motivation than ever, probably because I gave myself some time off, but also because now I have a new studio that I'm looking forward to using. I feel like I'm able, now able to express myself with my podcast on a separate channel so it doesn't affect the current channel, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, so I guess what's that for you? Yeah, so, um so explain the question one more time. I want to make sure I give the right answer. Yeah, like so so when you start coming back onto YouTube, is it going to be a pivot to where now you are yeah. kind of doing that? 
if I do end up start uploading consistently again and, and putting out content, the number one thing I'm going to do is giving my myself permission to not go viral. Mm. That's going to be the number one thing I do. Cause I feel like if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to say what's literally on my mind. And if, if that, if that's not what gets views, then, then so be it. Mm. And I feel like that's, that's another thing is like, I was, I went so viral and I was known for like going viral. So I thought I'm going to put out more viral videos, more viral videos, clickbait titles. And like you get caught up in like trying to figure it out. But if, if it just put me in front of the camera and be talk every single day, I can, I can go off. But if I'm trying to figure out what's going what's to go the most viral, right. that to me is where I experienced the burnout. Cause I'm like, th- that's not me anymore. Like even I uploaded some YouTube videos over the past month and like still, like I was that exact thing. I was trying to figure out like, what's the clickbait? What's the thumbnail? Like what's going to go viral? And it just, it didn't feel raw. So if I do, it's going to be a hundred percent. Like if someone sees it, it, it is literally me to the fullest. Like if you even watch the last videos I put out, it's, it's different than me off camera. Mm. It just, it just is. So that's, that's the thing. Like I, I've actually filmed a few videos that I have that I might release that are just super, just like raw. Yeah. And if so, it's just going to be like, I just want to document everything that's going on. Just like yeah. show, show the journey of what's happening. Dude. I feel like honestly, even if with the mentality of not trying to go viral, I think ironically, if you created content that was more raw, more just you in the moment, which is kind of like what I'm trying to do with my content now too. Um, I feel like that naturally will get more totally. people to buy into you, you know? Totally. And, and that's my thought process. Like I give myself to uh, permission not go viral in the short term mm. because long term that, that'll always win. Yeah. It's, it's even like when you say that and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's almost like you, those are the words you use to describe the emotion, but the emotion is more just like a mental shift for you to like overcome your own internal blockages. Right. Yeah. Like kind of what the way I relate to that is sometimes I'll go through, through phases and I don't know if you do this cause I know your business is definitely more popping than mine at the moment, but uh, I'll go through phases to where I'm making a lot of money and I'm like, Oh, life is good. And I'm blowing shit over here. I'm bl- buying this shit over here and I'm spending it on whatever my expenses are high. Right. But then when I'm in that phase and, and I catch myself, I'm like, yo, why is my, my actual bank account not gone up over the last couple of <laughs> months? And I, and then I Bro. kind of shift back and I go, it's like I overcorrect. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go tighten the ship and I'm not going to spend anything. And I go through these phases of like scarcity, abundance, scarcity, abundance. And, and it's just like a mindset shift just to get me to stop blowing all my money that I enforce on myself, even though I know it's not good to have a scarcity mindset. Right. So is that a similar kind of thing for you when you said that? Yeah, in a way. And I mean, for me, that's just what my mind does to be able to be the most me on camera. Cause whenever I'm like, I just got to go viral. It's like, I turn on this persona. Um, but if it's just like, I, I don't have to go viral. Like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna step in front of the camera and yeah. talk. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's like a complete different mindset shift. It doesn't mean it's not going to go viral. It's just, I give myself permission. If it doesn't, it was still successful. And that I, that's something people get caught up in. I, I did get caught up in that. Like 15 years old it was like, if it doesn't go viral, this video was a failure. It's like, why? Why was it a failure? Like, mm. what's the goal of going viral? So you got people taking selfies with you. Yeah. Like, dude, I, I've had people in malls, like, just kill Max, kill Max, kill Max. Like, I like, can we get a photo? Can we get a photo? I've gone to events and like, literally, I get mobbed. I can't even walk outside. It gets it gets to the point of being annoying. But I'm telling you, what, like, having someone come up to you crying because they're a fan. Yeah. Does not compare to when someone comes up to you crying because you that you changed their life. Mm. It doesn't even compare. So like that for me is like just give myself permission. Like, I don't, I don't have to go viral if I do. That's yeah. like, I, I'm another thing for me of why I'm not going super on social media is because at this current moment, it's not the number one priority. And I have a very difficult time going all like going into something, doing something, spending my time on something that I can't get my existence to. 
Mm. That's one of the things Ryan and I really struggle with. Like we can't do something unless we can give our entire existence to it. Yeah. And once we can, then we're the best world. We will get that thing done. But we're not, we do not dabble whatsoever. And in this current moment, I can't give my existence to it. Right. And so for that reason, it's not a priority at this moment. But once I have something I'm giving my existence to and social media is a vehicle for me to share what that thing is, that'll make sense. And we got a lot of things we're working on. Yeah. I totally get that too. Like I've gone a kind of gone through a similar moral dilemma of like, yo, I'm spending so much time now planning videos, shooting them. And anytime that I'm on a regular schedule, like I built my dating advice channel on daily videos. And, and I realized like, this is definitely a big portion of my day a lot of the time. So I totally understand, like, should I spend most of my day working on the actual business or most of my day working on the actual posting videos? Um, and I guess you're right. It, like once you have like the business kind of like in place to where now you just need to throw gasoline on the fire. That's when you start going viral on social media. But I want to go back to that because it's interesting me kind of hearing you describe your, your, your journey of, have you ever talked about that? Kind of like the feeling of having to go viral uh, a little bit. Yeah. I've done, I think I did one video on it, but not really. Cause since, since I had that epiphany, I really haven't put out right. a crazy amount of content. It's kind of like the, like a normal 17 year old. If he's known as the guy who makes all the threes in, in, in his fucking school's team and everybody in town loves him because he's the guy who saves the fucking ball game. You're the dude. And you can correct me if I'm wrong again, like you're the dude who had viral video after viral video. Did you feel like you were getting validated by marketers, friends, fans just because of that? And do you feel like because of the validation, almost like a hit of drugs, you were like addicted to getting the validation and it's like it became a never ending grind of trying to get the next viral video just so you could get your next hit of validation. Would you say that's kind of maybe, maybe on a super, super subconscious level. Right. I mean, I've never been one that's like, that's my complete motive. It's all, it, it really has been about people. Yeah. And yes, I've had moments where I've shifted from that. Well, you obviously felt some but, pressure to make your next video viral, but a hundred percent, like, especially cause like when you, when you go viral, like do the amount of dopamine you get when you go viral is crazy. Mm. Like I, when you see your video, like you're like, dang, I posted that yesterday and it's got 2 million views a day. Like you get a lot of dopamine from that. And that's one thing is like, like I, I, I need to continue to keep the momentum because it takes a lot of work to go viral. And once you go viral, you want to latch on that. You don't want to, you don't want to stop. You want to continue to put that out. And I think that can be definitely a, a dangerous place, especially I've, I've noticed a lot of influencers get to that point where they're going viral every single day. And there's just this fatigue, this literal mental like yeah. fatigue because you're like, it's dopamine, not like it's just, it's just this crazy cycle. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, that was definitely something probably that, that happened. Yeah. Someone who blows my mind in the viral space is fucking Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast kills it, dude. <laughs> How does he get you that many fucking it. views, bro? <laughs> that dude, is insane. Just straight up though, he has really, really interesting angles for his videos that it's impossible not to click. It's yeah. not possible to click. Like, yeah, you know what? This looks good. Yeah. You see it, you're like, I, I literally have to click on this video. You're so see, curious. Not for the whole thing, but even yeah. if it's just for 20 seconds. But then it's so captivating. It's 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 very entertaining. There's like the all the the effects are so much going on. We're like, yeah, I'll watch for another twenty seconds. And next, you know, you watch the entire video. Yeah. So I think it's it's literally like when it comes down to it, insanely great angles behind his videos. Right. And then the content's really really good. And he delivers it. That's the key. If you can have unbelievable clickbait and deliver on the clickbait, you win. I heard him say in a in an interview, literally like, "What's your secret to going viral?" He goes, "I just brainstorm for an hour a day video ideas." And I'm like, it's so simple, but how many people don't do that? Dude, you know? thinking is a human's most profitable action, bro. 
it blows my mind how many people don't just sit there and think like before you start something instead of going like you know what for example let's give that example of a podcast I'm gonna start a podcast be the most podcast in the world start filming start filming start filming that's fantastic and that's what you need to do you need to start hitting the podcast like if you're gonna do it start doing it but even just spending three hours and saying okay what would be the skip button let's say I do this for a year where would I be in a year how can I get there now like you get one podcast with Elon Musk you're one of the number one podcast in the world like that boom yeah right so like what is the skip button to get there what is the skip button? I fucking and if you love that. if you think like if you think crazy enough, like dude, you you will find ways to win that no one else would think of. Mm. And I find the people who get the most odds, like especially online, they start like to do a social media podcast. Yeah. Fun. But uh, even like whenever I'd be with Jake Paul, he would spend a lot of times thinking like, what what today would go the most viral, and that's literally what he would ask himself. And people they'll just put out content, put out content, but they don't won't sit there and just think. And Mr. Beast does that. He'll just have think sessions where he'll just sit there and think what could go viral, and he'll write a hundred options of what could go viral. And then he says, what's the most viral one here? And he'll film that. So it's like, you can get, you can have so much progress from thinking. Yeah. It is the most profitable action you can ever take. Here's another thing to add on to that. One thing I've noticed about you and Ryan is both of you think fucking big. And most people don't think big. People think they think big, but then they meet you and Ryan and they go, oh, these kids are thinking bigger. And that's why you guys are literally you're 18, he's 20, and you're generating however, however many millions of dollars in revenue through whatever companies you've been running in the last nine years, seven years, or whatever it's been. <laughs> wait, how long is it? 13? Not Well, you started when you were eight, right? That's like five years of- Okay, five of, years yeah. of just like straight grinding on your businesses, right? So it's inspiring, but like when I was with Ryan at Dean's office, it was like, how do we turn this one thing called the Better Life Challenge into a billion dollar empire, right? <laughs> Who fucking thinks that? Dude, Ryan and I, I swear- Bro, we cannot start something without it turning into a billion dollar thing. <laughs> Every time our mind will go, okay, this is an idea like for business. How could this become a billion dollar thing? We can't launch an offer and say this is going to make six figures a month. We just can't do it. Mm. Like, How can this make? Literally, when we started YTA, for example, we were yeah. like, how can we make $250 million a year with this? And when you do that, it's pretty easy to make $3 million in two months. Right. It becomes it becomes pretty simple. And so for us, like that's the way that we think. We just think so big and... I feel like literally one of the number one flaws people have, they just don't think big enough. Right. Like even if you look at us, we set an objective of within two months, actually it was a month, we're going to make $5 million within a month. And we, we failed. We didn't hit the objective. We actually missed it by over 50%, but we made $2 million. And we've had friends like, I've told them, yeah, we're going to make $5 million in a month. And then they'll call me up a month later. Hey, did you make, did you hit it? Did you hit your goal? And I'm like, no, we failed. Mm. They're like, well, how much you make? We made $2 million. I was like, dang, that sucks that you failed. And I'm like, yeah, but it sucks that you succeeded and only made $10,000 this month. Mm. Like, like a lot of people, like when your failures become more successful than most people's biggest successes, that's when you start to win. And Hell we, yeah. we think on that level of just every little thing is like, all right, we, we take it to the absolute, I don't know. I really don't know if 90% thing, like 99% of things that we think about the conversations we have. I don't know if you can think bigger. We take it to the max and then we become more realistic. We, we exaggerate it. We think what the absolute biggest, and then we pull back just a little bit realistic, but to right. the point where it's not also, it's still not realistic, but it's realistic in our minds. And like that, that's how we operate everything with business. Mm. Got anything, anything new that you've been scheming? Any big ideas <laughs> in the works? Dude, you'll never, you'll never talk to Ryan and I a day on earth that we're living and we're not scheming something. We got, we got a lot. Bro, Ryan, he would create a new funnel every day in just some random niche. I remember him watching this kid in like a week build three different survival drop shipping <laughs> funnels why for what? no reason just for the hell of it survival drop shipping i built it for my brother 
Oh my gosh, you told me about that. Dude, it 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 literally every day Ryan and I find out something new about ourselves. Like right. we've been friends, we've like lived together for like a year and a half, and mm. every day there's a new story. We're like, what the heck? He told me about some crazy thing he started the other day, or sorry, like last maybe two years ago, to to get around more ad buyers. And I was like, dude, like that's most people's biggest successes. So that's it, man. Like we throw out so many nets, it's inevitable we win. Yeah. Like it's inevitable. It, it's inspiring, honestly. Like I it's like you people people need an environment like you guys because it'll only raise them up because you guys are always just thinking big and on the go and i think another thing that you guys do really well is like when you think you think consciously you're asking yourself the right questions you're looking for the right questions to ask and i think that's a key like that's a tony robbins thing like th having the right questions but most people don't actually apply it every single day like i've seen you guys do and honestly like if there's anything that we could accomplish with this conversation, it's I want anybody who's ever heard of Caleb Maddox to realize like you are not some fucking what Coffeezilla fucking thinks you are and what all this <laughs> fucking army like Coffeezilla is the type he is everything wrong with 2020, right? I he is everything people like him just hating on people for no fucking reason and then sending your army to hate on them because you're pissed that maybe you bought a product that didn't give you results. It was one experience for a motherfucker like that where he starts going off on everybody. But dude, look at look around you. You're talking shit on phone some of the biggest movers and shakers in society. What the fuck are you doing wrong? Right? And so I want people to understand like Caleb Maddox is who he is because he thinks bigger than people and he takes way more action than most people, right? That's the shit that I really want to accomplish with this podcast. I don't know if you've ever kind of like, I don't know, what's your whole thought about that whole Coffeezilla fallout, you know? First things first, I I, you, I love the passion, bro. My man got passionate. <laughs> um, What do I think about Coffeezilla? I mean, I think the same thing I said before I ever hopped on an interview with him. Like, I think in a way he has the right intentions. Right. Um. I think there's definitely a lot of scams in our industry that, that don't truly care about people. Mm -hmm. I've witnessed it firsthand. So I think in a way, what he does, I mean, I, I understand where he's coming from. Yeah. The only thing that bothered me about him, it's not the it's not the dislikes on my videos, it's not the negative comments. Bro, the amount of negative comments I've gotten is unbelievable in my life. Yeah. I am I am completely amazed. You have that thick epidermis. People, people keep messaging me, are you are you okay? Like with all the, the negativity on your post? I'm like, dude, like this is what people don't understand. I've read a comment every single week since I was 13 years old of someone telling me to kill myself. So it's, it's like not anything new for me. So yeah. that doesn't bother me. The hate literally doesn't bother me. You can ask Ryan. You can ask anyone that knows me. It's never given me a single negative moment ever, especially because maybe if I was a social media influencer, it'd be different. But like, it's just, this is just so not my priority. Right. The one thing that bothered me about CoffeeZilla is that when we first got on, uh, before we ever did our, our interview, mm. um, I really, I don't. He think, was a different person off camera, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't even think we should really. Uh, we'll, we'll close after this. Cause I don't want to give a bunch of attention yeah. to it. But whenever I first got on the the thing with him, I instantly was like, "Yo, what's up, bro? I just want to let you know uh, up front, I have no beef with you." Uh, and quite honestly, I totally like. I, I understand what you're doing. Like the comment I left in your video, I I truly believe. Like I understand where you come from. I think you have good intentions. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, no worries, man. We'll just have like a, a conversation. Like I'm sure we're gonna disagree because you know we see the world kind of differently." I was like, yeah, 100%. I'm like, by the way, like, curious, what's your long-term vision? And like, I truly was like yeah. having a conversation. He was telling me. There's it. no long-term vision because his entire channel is an emotional reaction to just his opinions on shit, you yeah. know? And and anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. Like I got on, I was like, yeah, you know what? I like this guy. I even said before I like officially hopped on, I told someone I was with, I was like, yeah. this guy seems like a good dude. Like he has good, good vibes. Like I, I'm, I was maybe just mistaken. Maybe he literally just saw one of my videos and disagreed with me. But the moment 
the recording turned on, he instantly was like, instantly got right. defensive. Like instantly started trying to like tear me apart. Instantly like started like, it, it just became a whole different thing. of like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm like, dude, like yeah. this was not the conversation we were having beforehand. Yeah. So that I started to kind of get heated and I was like, dude, like, like what, what's the change here? Mm. And we had the conversation. Here's the deal. I believe if, if me and CoffeeZilla probably had a conversation off camera, yeah. I could change his life. I know that for a fact. Um, I don't think we would talk for an hour and he wouldn't end up crying. Yeah. Not because I would roast him, but because I would I would feel him. Mm. Like I would literally get to the bottom. Like, like what happened in your life? I feel like we'd have a real heart to heart conversation. But when it turned on, it ju- it just became something completely different. So for me, I really don't mind. I don't mind the the comments, and I understand that's inevitable. Yeah. I'm gonna get that no matter what. Um, but for me, it was just, it was a really interesting experience just seeing that. Here's the why change. it's interesting because I know I I've I've hung around you for a little bit now and i know like when you were on that interview you're basically trolling him back because it was kind of a joke by the halfway through right yeah because this man's literally like trying to prick out everything about you that he's ever been annoyed with which is so fucking stupid on so many levels it reminds me i used to go (laughs) i used to go to like um so my parents got divorced when i was in middle school and so i was in middle school they would make me go to like the therapist with them as like a family therapist or whatever. And so there'd be times where I maybe had a stupid argument that like a preteen would have with their mom and we'd go to the therapist like the next week. And I remember like, I'm in a good mood. My mom's in a good mood when she picks me up from school. And now we're going over here and she's trying to bring herself back to the emotional state uh, of like when she was mad at me the last weekend when we're arguing over, like I want, I want to watch TV during dinner or some stupid shit, you know? And I, I, re- I realized in that moment as like a 13 year old kid, I was like, yo, my mom's literally trying to get mad at me right now. And that's what he reminds me of. He's trying <laughs> to find shit just to get Dude, mad. That was said beautifully. That's hilarious. <laughs> right. And so I see right through it. And I'm like, this is a man who obviously in his past, maybe bought a program. Maybe he got scammed. Who the fuck knows who was, what experience it was for him. But people don't become that way because they were. Uh, like they don't become internet trolls because they've had a great life, right? They become trolls like that because they had a moment in their life where they realized this is how I get significance, right? And for him, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's a, one of those Tony Robbins, you change through inspiration or desperation or both. Maybe he bought a program. He really wanted the result, didn't get the result for whatever reason. Could have been the program, could have been he didn't take action with it, but he got pissed and he started a YouTube channel, gained a little bit of clout, and now he's getting all these negative trolls that are just like him because like attracts like, and he sicks them on whoever annoys him online. It's fucking pathetic. If you're watching this, you're fucking pathetic. All right. So he, he probably will. Yeah. He'll, he'll he probably, probably will this. watch this. And yeah, I mean, he might throw this in one of his videos or something. Cause there's one thing. Great, give me views. Thing, I have a hundred subscribers, motherfucker. Give me views. There's one thing I can't disrespect <laughs> about, about CoffeeZilla. He definitely knows how to draw attention. That's yeah. one thing I, I can definitely And say. here's the other thing about those motherfuckers is they do online marketing things to get views. What do you think you're doing with every fucking title? Why do you think you brought on Caleb Maddox? Cause you know, it's going to get views motherfucker. So you are just as bad as the people you put down. Yeah, like I, mean, I think one thing too, he's uh he's like an anti. I'm getting fired up right now. Yeah, I, I know. So I appreciate it, bro. I appreciate. it. He's like an anti guru guru. Is kind of what he is. So he's I, a guru. I think it's funny. <laughs> he yeah. is a guru. He's a guru just against gurus. But yeah. listen, like I genuinely, I I don't think any other attention needs to go to that. Like for me, I I want to do it because I genuinely I've wanted to do an interview with Hater for a long time because yeah. it's like they're always behind their keyboards. And you know one thing I've noticed. This is what I'll do on my videos. I'll just reply to a hater. Just just one like literally an emoji. Yeah. Just like a thumbs up emoji, an okay emoji, um, a fire emoji, or I'll just reply, I understand where you're coming from. Right. And every single time, 
literally, I would say this is has an eighty percent success rate. Twenty mm. percent, they'll they'll still fire back. I'd say ninety. Ten percent fire back. Ninety percent of people will instantly apologize for what they said and become fans. Ninety percent of the time, they'll literally respond and like, "Hey, I'm super sorry. Like, I really didn't mean what I said. Like, yeah. uh, you seem like a good kid. I just disagreed about this one thing." And they immediately revoke all the hate that they were spewing. So one of the things about me that I understand is hu humans have mirror neurons, right? So we're very used to like yeah. just mirroring what other people are doing. So when you go to a video and I'm already a very polarizing character, you know, like, uh, you know, instantly off the bat, you're like, this is some white privileged kid in America. Like, that's the first thing that comes to your mind. You know, I have a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, I got braces. Like, I'm just like, a, I'm like a very yeah. polarizing character. And then you see the comments, you see 500 dislikes, 100 likes. And you see like all the, the dislikes or, or sorry, all the comments that are just negative. Most people just bandwagon on. And if you reply to them, they usually will apply back, like end up becoming fans instantly. Yeah. And I've tested this amongst all different types of industries, amongst all different types of videos that I've done. And it, it's made me realize like, there's really not that many hate, like there's not as many haters as you think. Mm. There's a lot of hate comments, but not as many haters. And you'd say, well, this person hates me. It's like, well, I would say that coming across one of your videos and not liking you for three minutes doesn't mean someone hates you. Yeah. So that's why it doesn't bother me is because like, no one like people who know me. They they know who I am. They've they've heard what I stand for. They see the look of my eyes. Whenever I, I think about people, like they know me. They don't come across with that level of hate. So for me, criticism literally never bothers me. And it's kind of like Drake says, um, "All hate is is just uh, what, what what is it?" He says, uh, "Jealousy is just love and hate at the same time," or yeah. it, it's something like that. That's exactly what it is. Is that the it? Line, yeah. And I, I like I believe that like people that the come across my videos they hate me, but it also is a form in, in my opinion. Like I take it also as some love. Like it, yeah. it's like a level of love and slight like I, jealousy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Long story short, it it, it really doesn't bother me. Um, I see where he's coming from in a lot of ways. And I've seen so many people get fired up. And I think a lot of people, he gets a lot of attention. A lot of people have yeah. messaged me about him. I've heard, I've heard his name come up a lot in our industry. And to me, it's just, it's just like not even worth the conversation. <laughs> and we just gave it a whole conversation. Yeah. So there you go. Well, hey, it's, it's a podcast, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, he got those views because he did the right things. You know, he, 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 uh, created some attention. He got some interest, built up the desire, got people to take action. Oh shit. Did he just use a persuasion formula? Man, you are such a fake guru. Like <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> I I genuinely think I think he's very. I think he definitely has a persona. That's one thing I know for a fact. Yeah. You know, I I, I don't think what you see on camera is not fully him. So that's why a lot of people are like that guy's a, you know, he's a douche. It's like, well, also you haven't talked to him off camera like I have. Yeah. I genuinely think there's there's some good there. Yeah, and that's the thing is like. I feel like I can see that too. When you see him, he looks like a guy who genuinely has empathy for others, right? And so I think at the end of the day, bro, Brian was saying this on the last podcast. He he realized on a mushroom trip that everybody is one and the same. We can all relate. We all are experiencing the human experience, and which is especially a relevant conversation today, right? And and when I look at him, that's why I'm like, what caused this person to, to spew such negativity towards people, especially people who... He might perceive to be above him and he's feels slighted that they're above him, right? People want to tear down others that they see above them. They don't put down the person below them, right? Unless you're white and black, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I, I try to see the good in people as well. And even though I kind of got fired up a little bit there, um, it's kind of just like, I, I don't know. I just like getting I get fired it, up sometimes. No, I, I've definitely had moments where I've gotten fired up about it for sure. Yeah. Um, but for me... I, another thing I don't like about those conversations is they're not logical. Yeah. It's very emotional. It's yeah. very, who can say something better? It's very like, 
back and forth, who can who can get the other person. But it's not like a logical question. My dick is bigger, bro. My dick <laughs> he, is bigger. He, he did say that on the podcast. <laughs> did he really say that? Yeah, he really did. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, so, like, if I think if I sat down with him in person, I know we could have a real conversation. Maybe you'd still, I, I don't, maybe he still would not agree with what I say. Mm. But I definitely think we'd have the opportunity to have a more logical conversation yeah. versus, like, the rationality. And not just on his end, my yeah. end as well. Like, I, I definitely got fired up because, number one, it started to become, like, a fight for me. Like, I literally, like, I got into, like, athlete mode of, like, yeah. competitive. Like, all right, like, if you're going to, like, come at me with this level of energy, yeah. let's do this thing. And it became, like, a real debate. But for me, like, if I, if we, I would love to do, like, an actual conversation and actually have a real conversation. Be like, okay, like, I understand you don't believe in what I do. But, like, let's point it out. Yeah. Where am I a scam? Name someone I've scammed. Yeah. Pull proof to the table. Uh, here's the thing. Because you can't. I can already say you've added value to my life because when I was trying to cold call and wasn't successful, I got inspired by a kid who was online and closed a $10,000 sale on the phone. So you added value to my life. How many other people's lives did you add value Which to? Which is funny because that's the exact same video that that he first ever criticized. Exactly. Whether or not it's fake, <laughs> it still got the message across. Yeah. And it was still based on a real conversation. And honestly, at the time, I didn't give a fuck. It was still something that got me through the day, right? Now, here's the thing. Any fucking person who's a real coach, they actually provide results for the people. I can genuinely say I wouldn't be sitting in this apartment, in this chair, talking to Caleb motherfucking Maddox today if I wasn't investing in online courses, self-education, investing in myself. And honestly, I didn't start getting into personal development until I started investing in online courses. Oh, by the way, some of the fake gurus you probably talked about, right? I invest in their courses. They at least give me one little spark to get in to read this book or get into this fucking thing, right? And I'm a different person today because of investing in in these fucking so-called fake gurus. Yeah. Whether or not they give results to everybody, they definitely give results to some people or else they wouldn't have a business. They wouldn't be who they are. And even like, I, that's another reason why I am biased towards it is because I've had so many conversations with people whose lives have been changed by, by education. Like yeah. even one of my close friends, self-education, exactly. Yeah. Like even for me, I, they're just so the same thing to me. That's, yeah. that's funny. But even like, I have a close friend, his name is Tristan Larson and Tristan's going to go on to do an un, like unbelievable things in his life. Like you guys will, everyone will know who he is. He's going to create great things. He's going to create great solutions for the human race. But even if you look at Tristan, Tristan started off by watching Ty Lopez. Like he'll, he'll be the first one to tell you. He was like this like thuggish kid who had like no vision for life, was constantly like doing stupid stuff. Like he was just a normal kid, came across Ty Lopez. And now he's like one of the most sharp people you'll ever come in contact with. One of the most intelligent people reading books every single day. Just you have a conversation. He'll just blow your mind with, with, with stuff. He'll say and like even the projects he's working on now are unbelievable. And it started with him watching Ty Lopez, who millions of people thought was a scam. Yeah. So it's like for his me, program was good. Sixty-seven steps. I bought it. It was good. And like got like, me to read a lot of books that I probably would have never read. And by the way, Ty Lopez. Anyone can say anything about Ty Lopez. Ty Lopez changed millions of people's lives. Yeah. Just alone, the people he's gotten to read books, like literally, he's one of the most impactful people on earth for that reason. Mm. Like the amount of people who started reading because of Ty Lopez, that is a massive, massive thing. And so you can criticize him. You cannot like the way he talks. You cannot like he sells thousand dollar courses. But you can't say Ty Lopez hasn't had a tremendous amount of impact on millions of people. And I'd back that up. And I see so many like gurus get slandered. And I, I think in some aspects it's right. But like even like I, I hear Grant Cardone, everyone's like, well, he let go of all these employees. And, you know, uh, you know, he, his company went bankrupt. So he, he let all these people who'd worked for him for years go. But my question is, how many people do you employ? Like, yeah, he let employees go. But how many people do you personally employ? Because it's easy to say, well, he let people go. But think about how many people he's made wealthy. Like if... 
if it wasn't for Grant Cardone, me and Ryan would not know each other. That's crazy. I we, realized that today got, when, during your story too. That's crazy. Like, yeah. like I went on there. Ryan won the Grant Cardone Water Pitch Contest. I went on his podcast. Ryan and I saw each other online. Ryan Snapchatted me. We started having a conversation. And now we're business partners creating something that will impl- influence billions of people. So, yeah, Grant Cardone, you could say he's bad because he's, you know. How did Ryan slide into your Snapchat DMs? What did he send? Like 60 Snapchat messages. <laughs> Ryan's the most he follows up more than anyone I've ever met in my entire life really even when we're friends like it's not even like uh like a desperate thing just more like even like he would call me right and I wouldn't answer and we would be so close like most people that call I don't answer and I have like 1500 unread texts right now so Mm. I don't answer a lot but Ryan would call me like 30 times in a row I'm like dude I'm on a Facebook live and he would call me anyway (laughs) he'd keep calling me so like it was just, we, we connected online. He Snapchatted me a bunch. He'd seen my stuff. And then I was like, yeah, you won the Grand Cut on Water Pitch Contest. Didn't Is you? it just Ryan like sending you selfies like, what's up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. No, it's voice messages mainly. I think it was everything. Videos, voice messages, photos, yeah. text. It was all over the place. Dude, Ryan, Ryan's a, he's a freak, dude. Talk about the fucking follow-up and now you guys are business partners. Yeah. That's insane. Best friends and business partners out here. I want to shift gears for a second because... I told you before the podcast started, when Brian was here last, we talked about an experience that he had where he saw a UFO. (laughs) And when he set the scene for the story, he mentioned a couple of times that he was hanging out with you guys. And he said, 20 minutes later, here's what's crazy. We weren't even talking about UFOs anymore. And I'm like, that does not surprise me about Ryan and Caleb because they are they are just so fast moving and focused on one thing that even a fucking UFO doesn't phase Caleb Maddox. So, <laughs> so tell me your side of this situation. Yeah, I mean, I don't exactly know what it was. All I know that Brian showed me this video of this of this uh, someone filmed a UFO. They yeah. saw this thing and it was like this thing that was pulsing and it like looked like a UFO. And uh, next thing you know, he was like, yeah, it was crazy. Like, they just, like, filmed this guy, and there was this UFO. So then we see this thing, like, pulsing in the air. We're like, whoa, 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 this looks similar. So Brian pulls out his camera, and literally what the guy had posted was the exact same thing. Whenever he zoomed up, Brian literally got, captured the exact same thing that was going viral online. So I have no clue what it was. All I know is it, it definitely looked like a UFO. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, right? The logical side of me kicks in, but... I know that me, we were all like super blown away by it. We're like, yeah. dude, what's going on? Is Elon Musk up to something? Like, <laughs> what's going down? And then, uh, and then afterwards, we sat down at the table. We just started talking about business. <laughs> of course. That was, that was a little of the story. How did I know it was going to be about business? What's crazy about that is I, I screen recorded Brian's Instagram story. And I already talked about this, so I won't go fully into it. I'm but, down because I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. I have to listen to the podcast. But Okay, so I don't, I don't have my phone because I smashed it the other day. <laughs> so I'm, I'm without How'd a phone right it? now. Um, I literally hit it on the edge of a table and it didn't have the case on and it shattered. <laughs> Why were you hitting on the edge of the table? I was frustrated. Okay, I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> and it, and honestly, I didn't even hit it that hard. I, I didn't want, my intention was to not break it and it sh- fucking shattered. Dude, dude, I think this is going to be the most valuable thing I'm going to say on this entire podcast. It's probably the wise thing not to hit your phone against anything hard and uh, hope it doesn't smash. It's kind of inevitable. <laughs> yeah. Especially without a case on, bro. Yeah. Especially when you're frustrated. But anyways, yeah. um, I, 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 I would bring it up. Moment. So I, I screen recorded it and then I just kind of like use my thumb to watch it frame by frame. And there's three times and you don't re- really even notice it when you watch the video in normal speed. But when you slow it frame by frame, the thing changes shape and three times and each shape change only lasts one frame. Really? Yeah. That's what blew my mind. And on the video, you can actually see it's shrinking and getting bigger like this. Yeah, and Brian's not zooming in like, like that, that in person too, and he and he was not zooming in at all. And he it's like a he bunch of had it on, and it looked like it was zooming in and out. 
So I don't know. Maybe it's the the camera's lighting. That's a practical it could be. way of thinking about it. But all I know is we put it up to other stars and it didn't do it. But that one thing was doing that. So yeah, I don't know. UFOs. So so did that did that thing convince you that aliens are officially real, or are you skeptical? What's your whole take on that? <laughs> um, I mean, I, that definitely didn't convince me aliens are real. I I, I have okay. no clue. It convinced me that. I'm very curious about what it is. It opened up a, a loop of curiosity. So you weren't curious about if there was life on other planets before that night? No, I definitely was. But that was like, dude, what, what is that thing? Like, I, 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 we literally Googled it. We're like, this star. We even pulled up uh, an app that shows you the stars, and it just it didn't show it as a star. Mm. So I know it could have been a satellite. I know the satellites yeah. were going out. And that was another weird thing. There was like star-looking things. They were, uh, they were obviously satellites, but just like 30 in a row. They just were moving through the sky. Not like a, a plane where it flickers or it's low. Like it was just like all the way in the sky it would just move and it would just disappear. This thing that you saw with Ryan? No, it completely. Like it was, it was the same night and there was that thing. But then there was like 30 different lights like that looked like stars. And you zoom up, it looked like a star, but it, would just, it was just moving. And it was in sync. Yeah. That's well, insane. It was, like, it was like 30. Like it would be like one would go, it would like disappear out in the distance. And then another would go disappear out in the distance. And it was like 30 in a row. It was crazy. So I have like no clue. I have something. no clue. It could have been, but it, but it wasn't going fast enough to be like a meteor. Yeah, you I know, mean maybe. Do you have you ever looked into any conspiracies? Do you consider yourself a closet conspiracy theorist? Whenever I was thirteen, I used to like love looking up conspiracy theories. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite? Oh, dude, I don't know. I don't know. The Mandela effect gets me. You ever looked into the Mandela effect? It's fucking insane. That's trippy, bro. I, I've I've looked into it. I'm like, dude, I I know for a fact. This is what it is, but apparently it's not. So, yeah. what was the one that blew your mind? Um, all of them. I watched some videos like hundred Mandela effects, and and literally like I th- out of the hundred, like seventy of them, it just blew my mind. Yeah. I don't understand it. Did you feel like the Berenstein Bears were the Bernstein? That, bears? That's the first one that comes to mind. Um, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was the Berenstein. Yeah, yo, I had the I had this theory. I told Chris this, who's on my team, and I told James, who used to work with me, used to be my phone closer. Um, and I was like, yo, what if in 2012 the world really did end because this is this is when I went deep down on the rabbit hole of of aliens and oh shit when I started smoking weed about a year ago I started realizing that I started thinking deep and intellectual thoughts the same way that Ryan was and so I would literally channel my inner Ryan Ryan literally shut up the, that is the <laughs> most hilarious thing I've ever heard when I was working in an office with Ryan Ryan came in one day and he had drawn a picture of the universe and he said what if the universe is really fractal and he fucking drew it out and I'm like you are 17 you're not supposed to be thinking these types of things bro that's hilarious so he, he is the definition of high thoughts and I'm pretty sure he never smokes no so, he doesn't so literally I was thinking to myself when Joe Rogan interviewed Bob Lazar it made me go deep down the rabbit hole of of UFOs and aliens and I didn't even take it that seriously uh, more than any other conspiracy until I looked up uh like on the CIA I went to CIA.gov like the CIA's website and they have files and they show them to you because the freedom of, Im- of Imp- information act they are pictures of UFOs didn't didn't the Pentagon just release like, un- yeah. like they declassified photos of the of a UFO. Oh well, the video that a was video? taken in yeah, the two thousands, right. right? But there's files on CIA.gov that are official CIA documents that show pictures of like flying fucking saucers in the sky. That's hilarious. And I'm like, oh, if if it's not true, why is it on CIA.gov? And so then I started reading books about this shit, and I went deep down the rabbit hole, and I had a realization. Think about it like this. The first Mandela effect, the reason why it's called the Mandela effect 
is the one that really got me because I could have sworn in high school, there's not a lot of things that I paid attention to, especially in history, history class in high school. But one thing I do fucking remember is that Mandela died in the 90s in prison. Okay. And then he fucking dies in 2012 or around that time. Right. So think about it like this. What if in 2012, the world really did end like everybody thought it did. And the aliens from a different fucking reality phase shifted us into this reality a reality where ufos are real because i could have sworn they weren't real before but now they're fucking real right and then mandela effects starts coming up online in 2012 what if the mandela effects are just kind of like a symptom of we literally shifted into a different reality to save us because the world ended in the other one the one we're all from dang and that's why i don't like going deep on conspiracy theories (laughs) (laughs) that's i mean i i feel that i feel the theory yeah, I, I want to start a YouTube channel. I'm, I'm not actually going to do it. I'll give this idea to anyone who wants to do it. Not conspiracy theories, but conspiracy facts. Because they're conspiracies, conspiracy theories so true, you might as well call them facts. That channel would blow up on YouTube. Coffeezilla would page. instantly roast you. If it's a theory, then how is it a fact? It doesn't make sense. Man. <laughs> Bro. Um, I love podcasting, dude. <laughs> it's fun. Um, yeah, dude, I think that could... I think that has viral potential you've you've got that experience could, that could go viral dude uh by the way i love that you say that about ryan with the with the thoughts like he comes in about the frags of the universe because yeah. one of the things that that what's so funny about ryan and i is literally even like the other day i was inside this pizza place and this girl's like this girl girl goes you're high right now aren't you and we get told this all the time like you guys are you guys are stoned or you yeah. guys are like like you're on adderall or you're on some sort of drug and like we don't we're not we're like the most basic kids we're constantly just working but it's funny because ryan and i sometimes have to cater our conversations we'll be having a conversation and we can't have it out loud while we pass someone because they might think that we're on drugs because of the way that we think like we think so deep on a daily basis that the only way to justify is like yeah they must be on shrooms right now yeah so like it's funny you say that because that's one thing like people always say about us and it's so true like ryan like he doesn't get high like we don't get high we don't do any of that but we have conversation and people would like tell me about their trips that they have. It's like, wow, that's not like a conversation Ryan and I would have on a, on a normal day. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's kind of inspiring because it's like, you guys are so focused that you don't need to get high. You don't, you, you probably don't even need caffeine, bro. You're just already going. We do coffee every once in a while though. Cause here's why. Well, we have a daily meeting with our team at 9am. Okay. So a lot of times we'll stay up cause we're like in a flow, mm. but we have to be up at 9am. So we'll do some coffee. It'll give us some energy. Yeah. But I've actually kind of cut back just a little bit on coffee. Interesting. Slightly. Why? Because I was doing it like every single day. Mm. And I noticed that, I don't know how to explain this, and I don't have a lot of ba- basis behind it. It's more like a mental split test. But I noticed, I feel like I have a lot more mental clarity whenever I don't do coffee. And not mm. not more mental clarity like in that moment. Like whenever I first drink coffee, like I, I'm on top of it. My mind gets sharp all of a sudden. But like it's, it's pretty fast. It's like 30 minutes of uh, like peak. And then the rest of the day, it's like not as clear. And I feel like my mind, usually like ideas, thoughts, concepts, they just come like this. They just, they just flow. They just pop out of my brain. But whenever I drink coffee, I don't know why, but sometimes I feel like I have to like do more thinking to come up with ideas. I don't know how to explain it. So I'm not 100% sure if there's like science behind that. Yeah. It's just like a personal thing I've noticed. So I, I'm just split testing. I do a lot of split testing in my life. I'm split testing. To come up with more ideas? Is that what you're saying? Not even to come up with more ideas, just like mental clarity. Got it. Because like for us, like, and for really for any business owner, you could have one thought that could be more productive than a year's worth of work. Mm. And a lot of people, they get so caught up in just like the, the cycle of do the same thing over and yeah. over, same thing. Me and Ryan are constantly pivoting because literally one thought for us can be more valuable than 
five years of someone working every single day nonstop. Mm. It looked like Warren Buffett. Like Warren Buffett doesn't work that much crazier hours than most people, mm. but it's the way that he thinks. What so, does the average day in your life look like? Because you I said you have up, your 9 a.m. fucking yeah, meeting. I wake up. Yeah, 9 a.m. meeting. Get into, my, into the state what I need to What time do you perform. wake up? It depends. I mean, I go through waves. Um, some days, literally at 8.57. I'm like, mm-hmm. I got three minutes. So I got to be in this meeting. <laughs> Throw on my hat. Let's I'm go. I'm going to be tardy for class, bro. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, And then sometimes I wake up. Most common, if I'm going to wake up kind of early, it'll be like 7 a.m. Mm. But then me and Ryan will go through phases where we'll just start waking up at 5 a.m. every single day. And those usually last like two, three weeks. We'll get a lot done and then we, we go back. Yeah. I, that's probably the most productive wake up at 5 a.m. But honestly, we just it's it's uh it's something we need to continue to improve on. You ever heard of the sleep diet? No. It's uh Well, I re- maybe. I first read about it in the book The Game. Um, and I feel like you guys are the people who are crazy enough to, who would actually do this. Like, I would not be surprised if Brian told me tomorrow, like, oh yeah, Ryan did the sleep diet once. Um, it's literally where you, you stay awake for four hour time blocks and every four hours you only sleep for like 20 or 30 minutes and you just do that nonstop. And apparently you have like endless focus and energy once, once your body adapts to it. But I've never heard of someone who could go more than a couple weeks of doing that. A month and a half ago, I completely changed my entire diet my like routine, everything. Cause I studied this guy named sad guru who only sleeps. Well, he's used to only sleep two hours a day. Now he sleeps four hours a day, every single day, but has like peak energy. So I tried it for like a week and it went super, super well. Is he super energetic on camera? Like, look at me. I don't sleep. I have a lot of energy. Well, he's like, he's like very spiritual. I I don't know if, I don't think he's a monk, but He's like super like he's like very spiritual. Like that's his So he's always basically half asleep. Yeah. And by the way, he has he has unbelievable content. Like I I watched him. There's some of the deepest wisdom in his videos out of Mm. anyone I've ever watched. You should you should check him out. Sad guru. Sad guru. I tried it for a week and basically the diet was like the most intense diet you could ever live on. Like it's not even like vegan. It's like a step past that. It's like you can't just eat a salad. Like you have to eat a salad that's like brand like it's it's basically brand new fresh. You can't eat anything to go. It's a super weird thing. Plus, you can't drink cold water. Your water has to be, I forget the exact uh, temperature. Do you remember what it was? I think it was like 80 degrees. You have to do that. You can't like, right now I have my posture off. Like my posture should be really good. Mm. So like you have to like sit like perfect all day. So like it's it's an intense lifestyle and it was great. But I just realized like at this current moment, this is probably not my number one priority is to get to two, three hours of sleeping. It's something maybe I'll revisit down the road, but it was crazy. I've gone vegan twice in my life. I did 90 really? days of vegan. Like bring the microphone closer to your mouth. Boom. <laughs> Gotta get set up. But, um, yeah, I went vegan for like 90 days, like three years ago. Damn. And I was 14. How was it? Have you ever done it? No, <laughs> I'm just like, I did keto for six, six months. Um, and I hated it every second of it. Um, and I always felt like it, I would slip up and I would eat one piece of bread and then you get the carb flu the next day and it's just like a whole fucking fucked cycle because I would slip up and eat like two bites more of bread than I should have, you know? Forget that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, I actually, funny story about dieting. I got the most ripped I had ever been when I was like 20 to 25 because I did P90X every day and I didn't miss a day because my dad refused to buy the program for me in high school. And so when I was in college, I saved up and bought it. And my dad like still was like, you're not gonna do it every day. And I fucking did it every fucking day just to like spite people and show them that I could get ripped. And I fucking did. But I went too extreme because I read the, I, I skimmed the nutrition plan 
and there's like different suggestions on like how to eat. And it's like, if you're cutting, do this diet. If you're just wanting to maintain, do this diet. And then I didn't read the fine print that said, oh, by the way, don't do the cutting diet for more than two weeks because you basically cut carbs out of your entire diet. I, I missed that part because I was skimming and I did the cutting diet every day for three years. No way. <laughs> so I was fucking ripped, but I was just skinny, you know? And I, I, I started to notice it when I was playing basketball before I could just like put, shove people around and now they were shoving me around. And so, uh, yeah, it was insane. So that was like, I had an interesting relationship with food back then. I only ate protein and that's it. I, I would cut fat and carbs out of my diet, just protein. No way. Yeah. P90X is legit. I, like my dad used to do that. Really? Like a few years ago. So I did some of the workouts with him, but I was like kind of younger. Your dad seems like, uh, first off, obviously we know the story. He is pivotal to you being the way you are, right? But kind of like in the way that, like the way the Logan Paul and Jake Paul, their parents are like, Nobody thinks of them as a meme, like the way, the way people think of Jake Paul. They think of those as like the wise mentors who happen to have two crazy kids. I see your dad in the same light to where he's like the wise mentor and you're like the person who's actually like going out and trying to make an impact, you know? I, like I, <laughs> that's I basically, hilarious. that's my roundabout way of saying of like, dude, I need to meet your dad one day. Dude, hundred percent. He would love to meet you. Yeah. My dad, when you meet him, he's like a movie character. Really? Yeah. hundred percent. I, I get so much of who I am from my dad. Like he's always thought super crazy, always had crazy crazy visions mm. um like what he wants to do the the things he wants to accomplish and i attribute that a lot to me being the the visionary that i am of like thinking so big is my dad was always expanding the way that i thought and how big i thought and he never once in my life was like that's that's not realistic mm. like, that was that was not even an option like even if i was the worst player on my entire team on the worst team in our entire league and i said i want to become a hall of fame baseball player there was never an ounce of doubt he did say your habits don't map to that. He would be a fully transparent say like, hey, like if you look at like what you're currently doing, why as you was the worst player? And he would blatantly tell me, you're the worst player in the league right now. You're the worst player in the entire league. You're the shortest kid. Why do you think you'll become the best within a year? It's it like, it doesn't make logical sense. And I'd be like, I don't know. He's like, well, what, what's your habits look like? And so my dad would say, well, you, if you do five things every single day, which was like hitting, uh, meditating, you know, reading a book about mental toughness, um, fielding, like I would have these five habits. I did them every single day for a year. And within a year, I became the starting shortstop for the all-star team for all of Florida that yeah. year. Purely because my dad, like, even though he never doubted me, he said, no doubt you can become a Hall of Famer. But then he would he would also keep me accountable and say, hey, like, I, yeah. I, have, I had a crazy childhood. My childhood is unbelievable. <laughs> like, even... Even as a kid, like some of the things people hear, it, it definitely comes across as child abuse. But at the same time, it it changed my life, and I would never, I don't regret it for a second because everything yeah. I am, like even, for example, one time uh, we were playing wiffle ball, and uh, you ever played wiffle ball before? A long time ago, dude. Yeah. Wiffle ball is the wiffle ball is the move. We should get together like a little league out here. Oh, It'd yeah. be fun. But um, but anyway, we were playing wiffle ball, and I lost the wiffle ball game. Me, it was me versus him. Um, and we'd play like in a tennis court, and I chucked my bat against the fence. Absolutely, just reamed it against the fence. And, uh, and my dad was like, well, and, and he just looked at me and I knew immediately I messed up because the number one value my dad instilled in me was attitude is everything. That mm -hmm. was the number one thing. And I immediately know I messed up and I thought he was about to yell at me and he was about to get into me and get, and get angry and, uh, and discipline me. But the entire night he didn't do anything, which scared me even more. Cause I'm like, what does he have planned if he hasn't done anything yet? And that morning at 3am, my dad woke me up in the middle of the night. He said, let's run on the treadmill. And he brought me in the treadmill and he made me run on the treadmill and say, I will never have a bad attitude again on the treadmill at 3 a.m. And I was crying. I was 10 years old Damn. and I was tired. I had school in the morning and I was, I was tired. And every single time I would cry, 
he would turn it up a little bit faster. He would turn up a little bit faster. Until so I stopped crying, I would just look, and I, I just had a level of discipline. And that's how I grew up. Like, I grew up with the most intense love ever. My dad wrote me a, 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 a letter in my lunchbox every single day that shared how much he loved me. He was the most positive person you'll ever meet. Everyone in my class knew him as the most positive person. My teachers loved him. Uh, I got to the place where the notes that my dad was writing were so cool that yeah. my teachers would read it in front of the entire lunchroom. So like my dad was the most loving, enthusiastic, positive person ever. If I would do something stupid, like one time I spilled a tub of beet juice all over the carpet and I thought he was gonna get mad, he just laughed. Because for him, he didn't care about like the stupid stuff most people care about. And he, he never was negative. He never was mean. I, I never questioned he loved me. But there was also a level of discipline when it comes to character of like attitude, work ethic. All of that stuff was non-negotiable in our household. Like, for example, another thing, if I threw a bad attitude, my dad would have me sit in front of a computer for three hours and watch kids in Africa starving and write out, I'll never have a bad attitude again. Attitude is everything. And like that, as a young kid, like that shaped who I was because... You can't be 11 years old and you throw a bad attitude and then you see kids in Africa starving and you're like, what am I complaining about? Like he even took me into like homeless shelters and I'd meet kids who on Christmas, we'd give them pillows and I'd say, dad, we shouldn't give them a pillow for Christmas. That's not a cool gift. And they would start crying Damn. because they're so grateful they got a pillow to sleep on at night. And I'm like, most kids are complaining that they got the wrong colored iPhone. And these kids are over here complaining out of gratitude because- they got a pillow to sleep on. And that perspective has shaped so much of who I am. And like, there's a part of personal development, but then there's another part of and having a lifestyle mm. of that, like, that's like that. And that, that's literally how my dad is. So if you meet him, he's one of the most interesting people you ever meet. And the, the only way to describe him is he's like a movie character. The entire time you're just watching it all of like, what goes to this guy's head? Like he's, he's yeah. just crazy. He's straight up crazy. So for anybody who's ever hated on Caleb Maddox, here's how I know this guy has good intentions because you and your dad, you always post on social media like giving pizza to the homeless people and like <laughs> literally Bridger Rogers, uh, who was on my podcast the other day, I was hanging out with him and he left. Uh, we were hanging out at the, at the pool, just a bunch of us. He fucking left early and he uploads on his Instagram story that he actually gave bananas to a homeless woman and he learned how to do that through you and your dad, right? Yeah. And when I think about people who help the homeless or help the less fortunate or volunteer and do things like that, I just remember me being in college and I was trying to get into medical school and dental school. And I, 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 you, you meet all the other people who are also trying to compete against you to get into medical school and dental school. It's a very competitive thing to get into. And everybody's volunteering, um, doing all these fucking blood drives or like donating to the homeless or whatever, but only so they can put it on the resume. And it became like a virtual virtue signaling thing. And the only reason any of these people are doing it is because they know that this will make them more competitive to get into school. You, did you actually even get your high school diploma? I'm still in the pro. I got to basically take my GED. Guy hasn't even got his high school diploma. High school dropout. Man gives back all the fucking time for no reason other than he just wants to give back because that's how he was raised. And here's the like, that doesn't make you a good person like serving the homeless. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, like you said, you brought up a good point. A lot of people just do it for the posting. But one thing about my dad I do know is I've, since I was little, I my dad would go up and just have three hour long conversations with homeless people and no one ever knew about it. And like that to me is what I respect. I was like, that's how I grew up is my dad just, he actually cares about people. Mm. And, uh, and that's one thing I definitely got to tip my hat for. Cause he's not just doing it online. He does post online like crazy, mm. especially now. Cause like he's, he wants to get more people doing it. And I think showing people is fantastic. Um, but I think a lot of people do that just for how they look. Yeah. So like for me, 
I don't ever want to give or be impactful or act like I care about people just for online. Yeah. You know, I feel like the majority of things you do for people should not just be public. I mean, the way I see it in a different way. I feel like you should be posting it online because literally you posting oh, it online oh, yeah. gets Bridger to post it online, which gets me to want to start doing that shit. So it's a trickle down effect. And even if you get people who are like, why are you doing this? Just to post it online. In reality, you are influencing the people who follow you. I, I agree. What basically what I'm saying is I don't think you should only do it for online. If the only time you ever serve or give is whenever you post like, Hey, I'm, I'm serving the homeless. Mm. That's, you got to check your intentions. Like, it's like, well, why are you doing it? Mm. And I think, I think you can have a real raw conversation and ask yourself why, yeah. but I think if you are doing it, it truly comes from a deep place. Posting online is a fantastic way to get other people to do it. And there's thousands of people that now do that because my dad's posted it. You look like someone like Bridger. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree. I'm not saying that by any means. I'm just saying, questioning the intentions behind it because a lot yeah. of people don't have those pure intentions. Mm. So that moment where the kid started crying because he got the pillow, would you say that was like like the the moment you had the epiphany? Like this is this is bigger than just like, you know, materialism and stuff? I mean, I think it was just a collection of moments because that, that was one moment, but yeah. I'd probably already been on 12 mission trips before that happened. So mm. um, there is no one moment. Like no one's, I mean, not no one. There, there's definitely a... You know, people tell about the story that they had their near-death experience and it changed their life. Yeah. It isn't like even that one moment changed your life. It's that that one decision or that one moment you made the decision to live a lifestyle that would change your life. Mm. So it's not like I just sat, saw that and like it changed everything. Like it was the collection of that being my lifestyle yeah. that, that made me think the way that I think. Mm. One of the, I guess maybe it is, a, at least for me, I've realized just reflecting a lot for me that for me, it, you guys have to go soon? Okay. Uh, we'll wrap this up. Uh, but I was going to say, I had a couple of moments because I realized when I would go out to like bars and nightclubs, there's obviously homeless people like on the street still. And when I'm trying to have good vibes, good times approaching women and whatnot, um, I would try to extend that with everybody around me. And I realized I would like literally buy a slice of pizza and give it to the homeless person. I, I did that in Kansas City when the, the last time there was a lot of riots in Missouri, uh, the whole Ferguson, Missouri deal. I was literally in Kansas City where I'm from and my buddy bought me a slice of pizza, but I didn't want it. And so I gave it to the homeless guy who was sitting there because I was like, I don't, I don't want this. Do you want this? Because my buddy just gave it to me. And that moment, uh, a guy of who's black literally came up to me and thought like I was being racist or something. And I'm like, Yo, what are you talking about? And he goes, yo, I heard these girls asking you what race you were and you had them guess and they guessed wrong and they guessed you were Mexican. And I was like, and I, and I kind of teased them. I was like, um, I, I, you know, I'm not Mexican. What makes you think I'm Mexican? Right. And it was just a playful banter exchange, but he thought it was like a racist conversation because tensions were high. And I was like, yo, literally he's so focused on the negative that he doesn't see that he came up to me to pick a fight with me as I'm giving to the homeless. And, and I literally gave it to him and I felt good about myself when I did it. And I, that was like, for me, it was definitely an epiphany moment for me. And so another time, literally outside this building, when I was a server and I was broke as fuck and I was taking home like $70 cash working as a server for the night or whatever. Um, I came home one night and I literally, there's a homeless man sitting outside of the, the entrance and I gave him a few extra bucks and I just sat there and talked to him for like 20 minutes. And he, he, he said something that at least changed the way I look at it. And he goes, hey, man, honestly, for us people who live on the streets, it's not about the money. It's just we want people to have real conversations with us. That is literally, I talk to so many people. That is the number one thing. It's not about giving them money. A lot of people do that. But still, like, you, will, you have a 20-minute conversation with a homeless person. And they'll just ask you, like, why are you talking to me so long? Yeah. Like, they're so used to no one wanting to talk to them except other homeless people. And that for me is like, 
that's what I love doing more than anything is just having a real conversations and you'll be surprised how much people or how much that'll impact them. Just asking them their life story mm. and truly hearing it out without judgment. Cause they are not used to that whatsoever. Yeah. So I, I, I commend you for doing that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. But it's like people like you who are going to help inspire other people to do that. And I think right now we'll kind of wrap it up on this, but I think right now, especially the world needs a little bit of positivity. And I truly see you as uh, someone who has genuine intentions in your heart. You truly do do your best to spread positivity and you're one of the biggest thinkers and go getters you and Ryan both. So I, I commend you for that. Thank you for being on my podcast. Hey, thank you for having me on the number one podcast in the world. Hell yeah. All right, man. We'll see you guys later. Peace.